Here's a few words with Jesse Bond of Southwest Fire Academy. Hey, Jesse. Hey, how's it going? Good. How's your day? Good, man. Busy. I just got home been in meetings all day and stuff. So Awesome. So I understand you're going to be taking over the role of president at SFA, and Gord's going to be stepping into a new role. So why don't you start off by telling me about that? Yeah, so Gord's working towards his retirement goals and trying to find a little bit more work-life balance. So fortunately, though, he's not leaving altogether. He'll be taking the role of vice principal at SFA, which we're super stoked about, and going to stay helping out until he formally retires in the next few years. We'd really like to thank him for everything he's done and will continue to do with building the academy up. We're really excited for him in this new chapter in his life, but feel so grateful he will be around with our committees and excited to have him as an instructor whenever he wants to. So with that, we have other exciting news. My partner, Brad Neely, will be taking the title of vice president, and we have officially hired a principal, Brent Sterling. He has recently had his leave of absence with the OFM approved and will be coming into Southwest Fire Academy full-time, so we're really excited for that. That's awesome. I'm going to be having him on eventually, too. Yeah, he'll be great. He's so much wisdom that guy has. Awesome, but you've got some heavy lifting ahead of you in the next little while, so what's ahead of you? So right now we're in the middle of a boot camp and we're starting another boot camp in the beginning of September, boot camp 47, and then I have another boot camp starting at the end of September. So that'll be boot camp 48. We have a competitive edge program on September 10th. That's kind of a cool program that we put together. It's just a one day class and it's for the people that aren't quite sure if they want to be a firefighter. So we just run through some basic stuff like PP drills, SCBA, flowing some water out of the hose lines and stuff like that. And if they like it, then then the cost of that program gets taken off their tuition. And if not, then they know that they're not into the fire service. We have Andrew Broussard teaching a forcible entry course on September 24th. And then lots of stuff in October as well, but I'll just mention this one. So we have a trench rescue course with Mike Tazarski. So we're super excited about that course as well. So yeah, there's lots of heavy lifting in the next few months. Big things are happening. We're working towards making the academy the best it possibly can be. So this is the time of transition and growth for Southwest Fire Academy. We're excited for the future of first response. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Multiple Calls Podcast, Episode 50, The Change-Up. I am quite obviously not Scott Hewlett. To quote Jordan Peterson, of the innumerable fallacies into which us silly humans fall, none is more egregious than the belief that anything in this life comes without a price. No matter what decision you make, you are always paying a price, whether you're conscious of it or not. The decision to play small, stay safe, and stick to the status quo comes with the price of unrealized potential boredom, and stagnant life. The decision to go all out, take bold risks, and challenge the status quo comes with the price of being misunderstood, of suffering for years, possibly decades, in pursuit of the uncommon and of facing judgment and ridicule from the very people who should support us. No matter what you do, you're going to pay a price. And the only decision that matters is what price you want to pay. You must pick your poison in this life to either suffer the pain of discipline or suffer the pain of regret. There is no middle ground and there is no free lunch. You must choose, so choose wisely. It's quite evident that Scott has again and again chosen the road of growth, accountability, and passion. To use Scott's words, he describes himself as an echo, an amplifier of those around him. Those with passion, new information, and a way to approach not only this job we all love, 
but life in a renewed way and all with a growth mindset. In today's episode, myself and Dave asked if we could change it up, flip the script, and take a moment to amplify the message Scott has to share. A dear friend, skilled and respected firefighter, and special human to many. On behalf of so many lives you've impacted, Scott, thank you. Thank you again for choosing to pay the price again and again with bravery, humility, and hard work. With gratitude and excitement, it is my honor to give you all Scott Hewlett. All right, so for those of you guys who don't know Caroline, I'm just going to say a few words about her. So she's a Brampton firefighter. She's been on eight years. And from day one, Scott actually recognized the asset she would be to peer support. So she's been part of our peer support team from day one. She did some combat for a while. She also took over the muscular dystrophy boot drive and managed that for three years. She's currently at our TR hall and she's our confined space instructor. So why don't you just say hello to everyone, Caroline? Hey guys, happy to be here. Thanks, Dave. Beauty. She's kind of a big deal. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> the only big deal here. No, no. A humble cog in the wheel. So why don't you say a few words, Caroline, about how the three of us connected or know each other? So I met Scott. He was a training officer when I hit the department. And like Dave said, we kind of right off the bat saw that we belonged to the same tribe. We meshed. I was lucky enough to to learn from Scott from day one. And Dave, you and I were trying to remember the first time we met, but couldn't. But I can definitely agree that same thing. We knew that we'd be friends and uh, hit it right off the bat. And then I definitely remember you helping out because you kind of ran the boot drive a couple years before I did. So you were happy to help there. Yeah. And I was also saying there was a little story there. So my cousin, Chris Vandenberg was in training with Scott at the time and you were in the recruit program. And Chris said to me, he's like, Hey, we got this recruit and she's one of our tribe. (laughs) So right from day one, I kind of heard about you that way too. So even before he came to the division, you were saying that you had told him Oh yeah, and you had told me that we were going to hit it off. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a connector, Scott. You are. (laughs) The glue that holds it together. (laughs) Yeah. Like we're all friends on the job and outside of the job. Scotty and I have ridden bikes together and we all get together for dinners and visits and I ride the wrong kind of bikes. (laughs) Spandex on the road. (laughs) Hey. (laughs) It's okay. We're an accepting tribe as well. Rocking that spandex. (laughs) (laughs) Or at least I like to think so. (laughs) It's good. It's good. But yeah, needless to say, it's been a connection from day one and yeah, just good to align yourself with good people that love the job and hold the same values on and off the trucks. And then you guys had the idea to bring this together for the three of us to have a chat. Well, yeah, why not, right? Like you always sit on the one side of the microphone and you've been doing this a while now and 50 episodes. Yeah. Kind of figured you were kind enough to have me on the last episode. Anyway, for those of you who don't recognize my voice, I was on 49. This is 50 now. We thought, well, why not flip the script a little and have your audience maybe get to know you? I don't think we'll do the justice to your interview skills, but we can ask a few questions, get uh, people to dive a little deep and some questions we've kind of come up with. And I think we'll also just do a kind of an organic thing. We'll just, sure. we have a few questions lined up and we'll just see kind of where this goes. And, and this really was the only way to get Caroline on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah. I've heard you've been trying for a while and her ultimate humbleness and shyness, we had to twist her arm and yeah. feed her some alcohol. And here we are. <laughs> but I have yeah. to answer a bunch of questions to get her on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Fine. That's right. As a supporter of yours for years, since you started this podcast, I definitely did not want to be on it as a guest. But I thought it would be cool for your listeners that have definitely developed a love and appreciation of what you bring and the people that you've had on the podcast. But I definitely think that it's time for the script to be flipped and that people get to hear a little bit more about yourself. So obviously we don't need to do the same level of introductions. People have had the opportunity to get to know you through, yeah, your last 49 podcasts. Another guest.
spots I've done yeah, exactly. episodes. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, so people know, like, we want to kind of more do this as a conversation versus, like, a traditional, like, where'd you grow up? Tell me about yourself. We feel like Scott's done that on other podcasts. We kind of want to make this more of a conversation piece, a la Joe Rogan style, potentially kind of, like, just let things kind of roll, so... Mm-hmm. I guess the place that I like to start is asking you, so everyone can understand, is obviously we're celebrating this is episode 50, but to let us know kind of what gave birth to the podcast 50 episodes ago, what started it for you and what's your why? Well, yeah, it was in one of the recruit classes. It was, I think it was Trevor Eamon. Yeah, our recruit class, yeah. That's, that's kind of a coincidence, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I'm not sure even if he remembers, but I think distinctly remember him saying like, oh man, you should like do a podcast. I'd listen to it. I was learning at the time, we've all three, okay, all three of us have talked about this a lot, about learning how to take compliments, like not being too self-deprecating, like humble, but not self-deprecating. Take compliments like a champ, like just like you do criticism, same thing, right? So I was appreciative. I didn't dismiss it. I took it in and it dropped a seed in my mind. And But at the time I was <clears throat> living in town. The commute wasn't very far, so I was just, didn't have time to listen to podcasts, really wasn't in my world. And then moving up here, and having that longer drive, then all of a sudden that was in my mind of like, oh, I want to make best use of my drive time. So I found the apps and started to look for podcasts and started to listen to a couple. And I think I've said before, like Jordan Peterson's and Sam Harris's, those two were like, ugh, like the, the quality of their content, the quality of the sound, the listening experience, what I got away from it, all that stuff really gave me an idea of what I wanted to be listening to. And then I sought out a couple fire podcasts. Uh, and there were only a couple at the time, mm-hmm. reached out to them, which was great, right? Now in this age, you can just like cold call people and connected. And the Refined by Fire with Steven Tyler, he kind of had maybe the closest vibe to what I thought I might be able to add. Right. I guess initially to backtrack, I, I kind of thought, oh, guys are already doing this. So what's the sense? Yeah. Right. Am like, I adding to the... To yeah. The like if they're thing. already doing it, they're well into it. Someone's already covering this late to the party again. So did you have kind of like an awakening where you just thought the more you listen to certain podcasts and it kind of helped you narrow down, maybe this is what I want to bring to it? I think because I became a fan of their podcast and just listening in through that, I was getting a lot from it, but I also felt there was something there that I think I would do differently, not in a better way, but just like... In your own way. Yeah, my own way. So thought about that more and more. And then obviously like where we're sitting now, luckily we're back in the studio. I think 49 was the first time we were back in the studio since COVID. Scott was starting to build the studio here. So that seed that was dropped from Trevor Eamon, the move, listening to some podcasts, getting great benefit from it, having a passion for the job. And I just think it's great that I can make something, put it out there and no one has to listen to it. So if anyone doesn't like it, they can just not listen to it. So I didn't feel like by me doing it, I was imposing on people or forcing people to listen to my views or my take on things. So I could just produce it, put it out there. And if people liked it, they liked it. And then thought, well, I'll just start with, obviously we have great people in our department. So start with some friends and that, which will be a really comfortable thing to do. Right. And just have conversations like we always do. And we've talked about that when we were doing episode 49, that we probably could have recorded 50 episodes like Caroline, you and I too. (laughs) And it was just the fact that we sat down and decided to record one of the 300 conversations that we've had and we're going to have. So I think that's what kind of spawned it. And then just did my own research and kind of figured it out. And just like today, tech issues and figuring that out and it's been really gradual and just sort of growing a little bit at a time. So there's always that little bit of encouragement. And then there's been a lot of people reaching out and saying that it's been helpful. So that all kind of pushes you along. And there really hasn't been any kind of negative pushback. I think it's interesting too, like the breadth of some of your guests you've had, right? 
that's the great thing about a lot of these podcasts is you can flip through and say like, Hey, of the 50 episodes, you know, if someone's interested in 10 of them, it doesn't have to be all 50 that someone listens to. It could be like, Hey, I'm interested in the sleep one you did and the one about the breathing and everyone can kind of listen to a few and kind of take what they want and not. So. Yeah. And obviously for people that have listened to it, it is really more about, and that's why I do the right from the beginning, like where'd you grow up? What was your, like, I want to know who you are and like, what brought you to this and what's that common arc through you and everyone else and myself that brings us into the job. So and that's just from working with tons of different people and seeing people from all different backgrounds and we're all in the same place. And I've always been fascinated with like, and that comes from the peer support and mental health aspect of things, being fascinated with the human behavior side of things and people, uh, and then hearing stories and learning from them. So, I mean, I just felt super lucky that I get to not only choose the guests, but then I get to ask all the questions and be in the front seat, as opposed to being in the car going, oh, I wish you'd ask this. Right. I, I get to ask it. Right. <laughs> Look at the basis of communication in any situation, whether it's coworkers, whether it's friends, whether it's romantic relationship. At the end of the day, it's all about finding out who people are, really listening to what they have to say, right? It's that idea too, we've talked a lot about communication, like half of it's listening. It's not waiting to talk. <laughs> hey, you know what? I want to hear what you have to say, where you come from, understand where you come from. Because you know, there's so many times too, when we work with crews and we don't really understand where someone comes from. And again, a lot of miscommunication comes from that. Yeah. You learn to give them time to maybe, and you also learn to give them a little bit of space to Maybe someone's having a bad day or you don't know where someone's coming from. So, Well, it could be anything too. It could be cultural, right? So how someone handles a situation in terms of an officer, coworker, senior firefighter, whatever, right? So yeah, there's all different layers to it. So it's, yeah, to truly try to understand someone for sure. And I like the idea with this too, that there was no deadlines. I didn't have anybody to answer to. I could do it at my own pace. Yeah, and yeah. I struggled a little bit initially and even got some feedback from people like, oh, you got to put it one a week. Yeah. Mm. People have to know when it's dropping. And I'm right. like, oh, I just, there was so much, especially during that time when I actually started, this was actually a lot going on in my life. I remember you going through that and us talking about it and you kind of saying, kind of initially maybe responding to comments you're getting from folks, like maybe I should put right. it out once a week. And I mean, that's part of the process probably, you know, like I guess I was kind of wondering, you know, what were some of the highs, lows or the, or the learning curve with it. And I remember just watching you go through it and it's been really nice seeing you let go of the quote unquote shoulds and shouldn'ts and the opinions. And, and like you said, really it's, it can suspend out in air and nobody could listen to it. And it still is a good conversation that was had and it's all done by choice. And the nice thing is seeing you on social media and saying such and such episode has gotten over a thousand plays or over 2000 plays and, and there's your feedback, right? That's your automatic feedback right there. And whether it was zero or whether it was 2000, it's still a good conversation. And like you said, you got to, you're still going to take that insight back to the hall. You're still going to take that insight back to the crew and even just yourself and that ripple effect in life. But it's been really nice watching as a friend and as a coworker, the process for you unfold and just choose to let the shackles go. And if it's one every month, if it's two a month, if it's you ebb and flow with COVID and life, it's been nice seeing that come off the expectations. Yeah. And I've been trying to, in as many areas as I can, if I'm going to talk about it, then walk that too, right? Walk the talk. So if I had self-doubt moments of well, I'm comparing mine to someone else's and it's not doing as well or I'm not putting it out off enough or woulda, coulda, shoulda, all these other things. I'm trying to walk the talk and then talk to myself like a friend would talk to me and also get feedback from my close circle to say, no, you can just do your thing and, and go ahead with it and let it be what it is. So yeah, it's not 2000 episodes, but 50 is way more than I ever thought I would do. So the fact that we're here is kind of cool and it's a special moment to do with you guys. Thanks, man. Kind of going back to that, you're saying you're going through a lot when you started this. Was it a bit of a cathartic kind of thing for you at that time then? Like, was it a, like a freeing space for you or? 
I think it wasn't consciously I was doing it for that, but like certain things, we need anchors, I think. Like fitness and diet were a big anchor during that time, and my friends were and family were big anchors, and then this was kind of an anchor too. It was kind of that thing that was, yeah, it's a creative outlet, it's an energy outlet, and sometimes when you don't even feel you have the energy in life or the time, like you, it's, I think it's important to make time and give energy to, to things that, yeah, this has been nothing but a positive experience. So I just want to help keep it alive as much for me as, as other people. Well, like you said, you've had really nice personal messages from folks and just knowing that it's making a difference for some. And again, that can just be a quiet reception of those messages, but you'll feel those way posts kind of built for yourself. Like you said, the added, making time for that creativity and for that connection. And then when you get those messages from people saying, this episode really made a difference for me, or I'm trying to get on the job, or I'm, I'm on the job, and I've had these issues, so this episode did that. And it's a pay it forward thing too, because I knew and we all know how much we get from discussions with people and mentors and guides and, and then realizing maybe I would have liked to have known that 15, 20 years earlier. So then you get in a space of, well, I want to know as much as I can <laughs> every single day and dig through it. And so I don't go another 15 years and say, I wish I knew that at that time. So for me, it's that pay it forward then because people have done that for me that I want to do for other people. So that ties in with the instruction and the time as a training officer and, and now teaching at Southwest Fire Academy and this too. It's like, if I can, there's going to be moments where you can't fast track people. They're going to have to have their own experience of whatever that is. But I think there are some things you can fast track people through. You can fast track them through by saying, I was in this situation. This is what I did. And then they just avoid that pitfall. Mm. Yeah. This is that whole thing. If you don't understand history, you're doomed to repeat it. So we should know something about the past so we can have better futures, right? So helping people and push them forward, I think as long as I can bring people to them and a broader scale of people, I think I'm doing some good. Now, there's a couple things there you've hit on. I do want to touch base on in a little bit, but one thing I do want to ask also before kind of on the flip side of this whole thing too is in doing this then, like what are some of the negatives you've encountered or what are some of the struggles you've had with doing some of this as well? Well, I think the tech issues are some of the biggest struggles. That's more ignorance on my part than it is troubles with actual machines. Like I just made that comment, don't take shit from machines. Sort of tongue in cheek, but most of it is ignorance on my part because I knew nothing about this world when I got into it. So navigating that and how the software and the hardware all interplay and how things connect. So, I mean, I'm just barely scratching the surface when you get into these programs and what they're capable of doing. You realize what music and film editors actually do. It's like the idea of watching hockey and going, oh, that doesn't look too bad. And then you try and skate and you're like, oh, okay, I get it. <laughs> right. It's like, you know, it's, it's, it has gotten a lot more accessible. And obviously if someone like me can do this, anybody can do it. So it is accessible, but there are things like everything that are details that you have to learn and uh, along the way. Yeah. So I would say that was, that's probably, again, ignorance on my part, that would be a struggle, but meeting people and connecting with people and building like what we're going to talk about and the process and the interaction with the people that I've talked to before, during and after, none of that has been a struggle. So again, I don't think there's many struggles along the way. And then having that, like you mentioned, of having that pace on my own, like I can just choose the pace of it. I don't feel stressed. I don't feel like there's deadlines. And I always want, just like we are right now, like I want conversations to be as natural and open and flowing as they can. So maybe just pull the curtain back a little bit like, because it's recorded. I always just tell everybody that they get first listen, like that guest gets first listen. Editing was a big struggle. Now that I mentioned that it's, it takes a lot of time to edit and that's why I'm having Brad and do the editing right now for me is just such a godsend. The guy's the best. 
it's a labor of love. So it's, it was a struggle, but it wasn't like I hated it. Whenever I sat down to edit, I would edit for a while. And then as soon as I started to hate it, I would just stop. And then I would get back to it later because I didn't want to be like, I have to keep doing this and really not like the process. But again, it goes to show and again, celebrating episode 50 and taking stock of the journey here and hearing you say, we recorded for whatever, three hours. But then knowing that you spend seven to 10 hours editing that, now 50 episodes later, you've got someone helping you edit. So it really helps keep you fresh and Opens uh, up other renewed. opportunities. 100%. Yeah, yep. having the team and, and having Matt from Premium Mix too and do the look of the podcast. So the, again, this has drawn in such good people. Like you talk about tribe, like their tribe. 100%. Right? So again, that's something that this has given me that more than it's ever taken away. Yeah, the editing's tough. It's like I'm sure Brad's a lot faster than I am because he has a background in it. But to give anybody some insight, 15 minutes of finished podcast takes me about two hours to edit it. You look at Aaron Fields' three hours, that's, that was 24 hours of editing. Wow, yeah. Right? But I also saw it as I see each episode as kind of a gift to each person. And again, to getting back to why I record the way I do, I just want to like, listen, you'll get first listen, you get first edit, you get first edit rights, or final edit rights. Whatever you want to cut from it, we'll cut. So let's just talk. So then you're not worried about, oh, I shouldn't mention that, or I'm minding my P's and Q's. Like you can just be you, lay it all out, we'll get everything and we'll edit back to exactly what we're both happy with. And then as soon as you're like stoked about it, then it gets released. But that just goes to speak to you as a person and what you want your final product. Even from day one, episode one, all the way up here to episode 50 is to let your listeners know that this is so authentic. Like you've just said, you've learned all along. You've had tech problems and overcome them. You've made connections. You've brought on and expanded your team. You've alleviated time so that you don't have to edit, but that leaves you time to make more connections, maybe have longer conversations. So at the end product, but it really does speak to knowing that it's just a conversation between people wanting to bring any bit of information, insight, goodness to the people that do choose to listen. Yeah. I've heard other podcast producers say, well, I don't want to edit it. We're not going to edit this. It's just going to put it there, just lay it out raw. And I'm like, ah, oh, you're just lazy. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's a judgment. But for me, yeah, as a listener and you're in your truck or your car and you're listening, for me, those initial podcasts, like I'm not going to be Jordan Peterson, Sam Harris level, but, and Joe Rogan is such a professional to use him as an example that everyone knows that he's doing it live stream, but it's still like very good. He's very articulate. He's a very smart man. And so are his guests. But I mean, we're well-spoken people. I'm not saying I'm not well-spoken, but there's levels and the editing saves that a lot, but I just wanted it to be, to cut out all the ums and ahs and ands and double speak and all that kind of stuff so like and brad and i when we talk like i'm like he gets it he just completely gets it so when you listen to it and you're driving it's just this fluid nice chronological listening experience well there's also like it's a slightly different format and if you listen to rogan talk about the development of his podcast i mean first of all he's 2000 in right <laughs> and second of all the first few that he talks about are like him and his buddy sitting around getting high and having a conversation and he looks back on those and goes like oh how rough Right. So you think like you're 50 in, you're still learning, right? So yeah, if I listened to ep one and two, like I've gone back and listened to every single one again, not only just to see the progression, but also like, again, to touch back on that, those people and that information and to have Zeus on who I've known since I got on and, and Jordan like one, two, and then still learn something from them. That was kind of like the, Oh, I thought I knew these people, but when you sit in this box and focus on them, you get so much more. So that was another driver of wanting to keep doing it. But yeah, I'll listen back to those initial episodes and I'm like, I'll edit that, I'd edit that, I'd edit that. Like I'd go back and clean them all up. I mean, they're still good, 
but I think the editing and the feel of it has gotten better over time. And has there been like one experience then that you'd say like from interviewing someone that you did know that you walked out of here going like, this has really fed this relationship in like a positive or different way? Or like, has there been like one aha moment or is it just more of like a general progression of getting to know someone through their conversation? Yeah, well, I think that for the people I already do know, even with yours, right? When you sit down and I'm only asking you about you and you know you don't have to do the whole like balance out the conversation because we've agreed this is the balance. This is the way the conversation is going to go. It needs to be me listening to you asking questions. And so again, you're not holding back or worried about you're going to take up too much of my time. This is why we're here. So you talk about you. So then it just opens up so many more nuances of your life that I, I'm probably never, ever going to get in this situation. Unless I sat down and said, Caroline, can we sit down and just like, give me three hours and you and I are going to talk and just tell me all about you. And that's the point. We do learn about each other over time, but we're doing it in real time with the rest of life and stimuli and catching up in the moment of what's happened the last couple of weeks. We don't do the deep dive back. Yeah, you've carved out this time specifically for this. Yeah, so for the people I do know, that's, that's happened every single time. And for the people I don't, I just feel when I first meet them, like I really get to know them. So that's cool too, right? Like you meet some for the first time and you, you get to know this much about them. And then from then on, you know them, which is kind of a neat thing. I think as a listener of the podcast myself too, it's interesting watching the evolution of your guests. Like you said, it's a great comfortable spot to start out with almost like the closest in your pond, right? A lot of our colleagues on the department and then you start to branch out. And now it's been wonderful just as a firefighter in general to hear you bringing in wellness with Marie with the cold ice bath therapy and the sleeping and it really is expansive. So you definitely have viewpoints from senior firefighters, from rookies, from everything else right now into health and wellness. So how do we connect all of those dots? So it's been great to see the evolution of content. that tribe. Yeah, and the content mm -hmm. and, and what you can take away from it. And, and now again, like taking episode 50 to kind of get behind the scenes and allow the listeners to kind of hear that it's been interesting. And even going back to you bringing in an editor, right? That must've initially maybe felt a little bit, almost in a good way, but apprehensive because you're really handing over. I mean, yes, you get that final edit, but you're really allowing someone to come in because you've taken such so much pride. For the feel of it. For the feel of it. Right. Exactly. I've always said that to you. It just yeah. sounds, I've turned off other podcasts because I didn't like point blank how it sounded. Right. It didn't sound like something I wanted to nestle into and, and dive deep into. I've always enjoyed the quality of the podcast. So to bring in Brad, that must have felt, it just must have been a process to kind of share. Yeah, it almost seemed too good to be true. Right. He's lit. I mean, I know he's going to, don't edit this out, Brad. <laughs> it's like a universe gift. It's meant to be because we started talking and then he instantly got it, edited one. And it's like, it was like I did it. He's a better editor than me, but it was just seamless. Yeah, the flow of it. Yeah, the flow of instinct and the feel of it because he was a fan of it. And he said, no, I just want to be a part of this. So it was, that's cool that it's drawn that in. Yeah, and then as far as guests go, we could have within the departments in Southern Ontario that can make it here within a drive. We could probably do thousands of episodes, but it's just now with social media and the internet, it's just so cool that you can connect with people from all over. And then I kind of had to figure out how to do that, right? Well, then how do you record with someone over the phone and get it to lay down on the software? And it seems like a simple thing. Maybe it is, but it doesn't seem that way to me. So figuring that out was a, was a challenge too, but then that opens up your world. But then also you then connect to the larger fire service as a whole. So I thought combat did that for me initially when I first started running, when I first got on, I was still in recruit class and I started running with the team for those number of years. But you had this microcosm of say your crew, right? And then you've got your platoon, then you've got your department 
and then you've got your province of departments and, and then Canada and then you go global. Firefit and Combat Challenge really opened up that world of meeting firefighters from across North America yeah, and some from across the world. And you start to realize like, oh, this is a serve, this is a thing. And you are meeting people in the same kind of milieu that you're in. So right. you're meeting specific kind of people in Firefit within the fire service. 100%. You don't have the couch surfers. You've got, so you are going to meet people that are like you, but it's great to know that that the majority of people in the service are kind of like that. And this also bonds you. You have this specific thread, not just the job, but you have this specific thread. So to chat with these people that I've never met from across the country, and pretty soon I'm going to have a gentleman on from, from England. Like it's just so awesome. And we speak the same language. So really start to feel part of a broader, bigger thing, which is to me what this career is, which any career should be for anybody and you have meaning and purpose. And so this has helped with that too. When you have those frustrations personally, when you have those frustrations, say within a crew or within your department, you're getting disheartened and policies and sick time and whatever on and all the stuff we talk about, this keeps reinvigorating that like, okay, no, this is what it's about. It's a bigger thing. So has that changed your relationship to our department or to, I guess, like the people within the department too? Like obviously for some specific guests, you're saying you're getting to know them more, but I mean, from a general rule, like how has this changed your connection with our department and not going beyond that boundary for now? I think it's affirmed or solidified some positives and helped me interact with people better if I meet them and I'm off put by something. I have to, knowing this, diving deeper with people, I have to realize they've got a deeper story it helped me grow my empathy. I think that's the best way to put it. It helped me grow my empathy and my understanding and my patience. Even the negatives, like say we have what we would say challenges within our department, so things we'd like to get better or improve, which we should all be doing, right? Hearing that we're not the only department that deals with that helps. Okay, it's not just us. So it's a fire service thing. So again, we're trying to make a change culturally as a fire service. That was really good. And then again, learning how other departments do things and how they see things and approach things. So if they're doing something great, then we can start those conversations within our own department. It's interesting too. Like, and I don't want to, like, I know we're asking you these questions and it's, I just want to hit upon this idea of this, these onions, right? Like there has been relationships and people I've met on the department over years too, where your initial meeting might not be the most positive thing. And then you realize like, oh, geez, well, I met that person at a time when they were going through a lot of stuff I didn't know, I didn't see, I wasn't privy to, and I made it about me or my introduction to them was somehow negative, right? And then you start to get to know that person. And then I've had a couple of times where I've had now strong connections with people where initially I said, hey, like this person is this, that, or the other. And I think that really speaks to something where like we do understand and develop this empathy and compassion for our coworkers where it's like, hey, sometimes these times we have together are hard. Anyway, I, so I just want to hit that too. Like everyone is an onion. And I think that's super important too, that, that idea of having compassion, empathy for each other. I'll tie into that. That's a great point. The double-edged of seeing what's out there, tying back in again to that bigger mission, that purpose, that can also be very, very frustrating too especially when you have your mind expanded or opened with an experience and realize like oh this is what i didn't know this is what i should have known that i got really lucky in that situation or those people we went to help got really lucky because we didn't know this but we were able to get through it but they it could have gone sideways like that idea and this ties into i mean aaron always drops into the conversation because he's again he's one of those how could he not yeah the big hitters that that idea that mediocrity wins most of the time. And I realized that there's a lot of times in my career where mediocrity was winning most of the time from me even in particular that going in training was that whole huge, like blood drain from my head. Like I've been an instructor for a while, but I hadn't actually been involved in training and then dealing with the wider department as a whole. 
that blood drain from head. Oh shit, this is not a game, right? right? So this talking to other people has kept that like always. Why am I the way I am? Kind of when I'm at work, it's like why are you so dialed up? I'm not dialed up, but this has helped reaffirm that this is not a game. So just to tie back to what you're saying, like what I've come to realize is that I now want to have each foot planted firmly in two worlds. One, this is not a joke. This is not a game. We can't afford to mess around. Although I have empathy for you and where you're at, although I think you're an amazing person, if I'm not good or you're not good or we're not good at this job, we're in trouble. And not only are we in trouble, but the whole reason we're here that they're in trouble. So trying to balance those two things as always remembering that this is not a joke and we need to have empathy and understanding and support and scaffold. And, but there's also things you can't let slide. The call comes, we're on the truck, we're there. Like this is real time. So that's been a real struggle with me about how to, I want to be more accepting of everybody that happens to be in a department, but I feel like there are lines that have to be drawn and that's a gray area sometimes. And I don't always know where to do that. It's unprofessional and dishonest of me and also disrespectful of where we came from to not kind of call it like I see it sometimes. So how did your time and training change that? Going to FDIC for the first time, I was in there, I think I came in there in January or February, and then April I went to FDIC. That blew my mind. I was like, oh shit. And then I took nozzle forward and that, whatever was left in my brain was totally (laughs) upended. And then again, I had that like, again, blood pressure drop, like, oh, and goosebumps. Sobering moment. Shit. Mm -hmm. Like I'm however many years in at this point, right? And at 13 years, and I didn't know that. Like, why was, and then you get frustrated and like, why wasn't I shown that? And like, I've been in all these situations, I could have done this or done that. And, and now I feel like I'm playing catch up. And then that realization too, that when you're about to stand in front of people and teach something, and if you're a person that cares and we're instructors, so we, we understand that, that you realize what you don't know. And it's going to be obvious to the audience what you don't know. So you better do your fucking research and you better be able to do the skill. Like if I wanted any credibility at all, I better be able to know it and do it in front of people. So that, again, I felt on the back foot, like I'm playing catch up now of like trying to get better fast enough where I'm actually worthy of standing in front of people and actually passing on that information. That was a real, again, blood drain from the moment of like what I would have, could have, should have known. But not to mention, I mean, when you step into an instructor role or an officer role or any point of leadership, you want to also create that space of empathy and compassion for your students. And I think to really level up as an instructor or a leader within the department or within our career, it's also to show that it's okay that your learning isn't done either. Oh. You know, so when you had those sobering moments at FDIC or yes. those first moments, like I've had it teaching at colleges and stuff myself as well. I would want that for my students. I hear you saying you've had these sobering moments saying, just to quote you just now, I've been on 13 years and I didn't know this. But I think that bigger takeaway is, is really truly saying the process is never done. And yes, you know, when you're a rookie, you can somewhat rely on your senior guys and girls to take you under their wing and show you. But it really does come into play when you're at certain points in your career is where's the ownership? At what point do you take ownership and say, I have these mentors on my crew or within my department, but if you truly feel like you want to keep learning, whether you're an instructor or not, whether you're an instructor on your department or outside for colleges or specialty programs, whatever it is, but how do you own your leveling up? And I think that as someone who has learned from you and now taught beside you in other ways as well, is you've done a great, and you showcase that every day in the podcast, you're an ever- 
growing student yourself, right? right? So, I mean, it really truly does become about how do we walk the talk and how do we take ownership of our own learning? So, like you said, at 13 years at that point, how did I not know this? Well, now what's etched in your mind and forever is how do I stay hungry? How do I always level up? How do I have these conversations? And this, hence why we're here at this podcast, whether it's teaching now at the college for yourself or these conversations or when you get rookies, I mean, we've all gotten something. You can't say you don't get something from teaching a rookie yourself. Yeah. So it's, I think, passing on to that idea of they should be able to feel those two things. They will be supported and taught in the way that I would want to be supported and taught. It will be handed to them on a silver platter. But because of that, then it removes the excuse of, which I, we've all experienced, poor instructors. And I had that experience when I initially went into the division. It was kind of like, okay, I don't want to do that. And I don't want to necessarily align with that feeling. So how do I want to show up? How do I want to teach? How do I want to pass on information and be able to hold people accountable to how they should be? So for me, the best way to do that is to be completely understanding and accepting of them, give it to them on a silver platter, be fully supportive. What's removed from that relationship is he's being an asshole. I don't have to listen to what he's saying to me. None of that exists. And then that brought in the idea with Aaron too of like work as a solution. For me, it's you don't have to be over disciplinary with people. You just take them out. We do the skill. The skill will show you. Like you're going to show you whether you know it or not. I don't need to belittle you. I don't need to push you down. None of it has to come from me. This is the skill. I'm going to teach it to you exactly how you need to be taught. And now it's on you. So then you have that awakened moment like, oh shit, I don't know. And I've watched it happen. I've watched them have, and sometimes I'll remind, like this is a fitness check-in for you. Like this is what it takes. This is why we have to do that this way. We can't always do things in teams. So here's the why. This is not a joke. I will do this a thousand times with you if you want, but here's why it's important that you learn this and learn it soon. So again, it puts it on them. And then I think then they have to own that accountability. So I think I started to learn accountability on my own part. And I think one of the biggest, I guess the last thought on this, the biggest failing I think we might all have is the job is so hard to get that you're throwing money and time and energy and like you're beyond your limit to try and get the job. Then you get the job and you're like, okay, like I'm here. And then you fully relinquish the responsibility of like teaching you how to be a firefighter to the people within your crew or your department, you think your department's going to give you all the training you're going to get. <laughs> yeah, there's no ownership. That is, I don't care what department you are, how perfect you are, it's not going to happen. Like your department's not going to give you what you need. Mm-hmm. So then you still have to have that in time and energy and family and life or whatever, have the time and energy to go and find somewhere to get this information from and take other courses, spend your own money. Like you literally have to. Or drill at the hall if you don't have, you have the money, to. right? Drill at the hall. You have yeah. something. You can't expect training to come to you and fall in your lap. So yeah, that personal ownership and that idea of like not wanting someone to take a day of my career away from me either. Like what do I want to be in this? Even if I'm doing it imperfectly, how do I want to sleep at night knowing I'm doing what I should do? So I think this is a great segue then to, I think this is maybe a long question, but a four-parter in a way. <laughs> So what do you then as like, if you could kind of like align something and say like, Hey, you know what? Like someone joining this department, what do I want to see out of a recruit? And then what do I want to see out of potentially a junior firefighter? And then what do I want to see out of a senior firefighter? Right. And then what do I want to see out of an officer on a truck? Right. Okay. So there's four parts of that. And I know we might get sidetracked and derailed, but I think it's important too. Like I really, 
in terms of getting to know you, I think it's important like we talk about these things about like, hey, you know, we want to put that ownership on people. But then like, if I'm standing in front of you mirroring that, what do you then want to see reflected back at you? Okay, so what I think my feelings are and what I want to see from someone that's brand new is not manifesting from within me. The fire service has already set down, the people before us have already set down what is expected of you. It's not me personally as standing. I just happen to be the person in front of you handing over that information to you. So this isn't coming from Scott. This is what I, because of me and who I am, this ego, like trying to remove ego from it at all times, saying what I expect of you. It's like, this is what is expected. And maybe the best litmus test is not just even the people before you, but the people you're actually going to, to help. That's, they have an expectation and they should. So, okay, that's a reality. Let's just let that sink in. So then what is the expectation? The expectation is to be, like you said, always be the student, be coachable. And if you have a good instructor in front of you, that's going to let you know, listen, this is where the rules for the, the 25 rules for the fire service instructor came from. And this is where the 50 rules from the senior firefighter came from. To digress slightly, just to backtrack slightly, like I had great mentors, legends within a department. When I first got on the truck, the first night, the guy in the back with me was, had been on longer than I'd been alive. Like I had that, I was lucky. It's not that our, our department anymore. You could be on the truck with a guy you went to recruit class with. <laughs> 100%. Right? So I had a different experience, but I had that moment of rolling down the road of like, not only A, oh shit, they gave me this job and now I have to do this. <laughs> and instead I would B, oh, I feel really good because I'm with that person and they're switched on and they've been here a while. So okay, I can stay in their back pocket. So I had this kind of comfortable like balance. And Again, some good instructors along the way and, and they were tough on me, but there was that tough love and supportive at the same time. And, and I knew I was a part of them and they wanted to see me do well. So again, I've taken all of that from them and these other instructors I've been around to try and on how I approach rookies. But above all, obviously we want to see you have a good work ethic and you show up a little early for work, like rolling in at seven o'clock, not a good idea. But beyond all that, like make sure the bathrooms are done and you do the garbages. Like I, I could give two shits about any of that. Yes, it needs to be done, but it can get done. Like I'm more worried about like, are you going to be good on the truck or are you not? Because it's 7 a.m. and you just got here, we're going to run a call. It's real time. And I know most days go by and it's not necessarily as serious as it can be, but it can get very serious very quickly. So understand that I'm going to give you everything on a silver platter. I'm not explaining everything from a base level because I don't think you know what you know already. I know you bring something to the table I just want to make sure we don't miss anything. So if you already know something, that's great. You go to a conference, you listen to someone talk for three hours and then 20 minutes of it are like, oh my God, mm -hmm. I already knew the rest of it. Grin, it's always good to rehear things, but that 20 minutes, I'm so glad I sat here for that. So I try and approach it the same way. I'm going to give it to you from the very beginning and you're going to find something in here I know because I've had that experience for you. So be coachable, be teachable, actually care about the job and like not have it not be about you and not be entitled. I think that's key right? Have the same reason for being here as I am. Yes, we have to have a job. Yes, we have to make money. We have people to support. We have to support ourselves, but be appreciative of the job that people feel very, very lucky to be here. And there's people that would crawl through hot rocks to get where you are right now. So don't be entitled, be coachable, have a growth mindset, and then setting that proper expectation for them as in, okay, here's the biggest thing. There's more expectation on me right now than there is on you. Cause I've been here for 24 years. And if I fuck up, I should have known better. You, you have fourth class or fifth class firefighter expectations on you. So let's just put that. So then that kind of sets them at ease, but then they really have to own their shit of their level. Right. So I think that's something else I've learned from other people that I wanted to hand over to. So set that proper tone. No one, I just showed you something once. I don't expect you to do it perfectly because I literally showed you 30 seconds ago. Like it's okay. 
fuck it up and fuck it up again and fuck it up again. And I'd rather you in that non-training testing world that they're used to throw the ladder and have it maybe almost slip and fall on on them and they catch it. Have that happen all the time. Let's be happy about that because that's what's going to happen in real time. And you're going to get this muscle memory of like knowing how it behaves and getting ready to, to catch it, not in this perfect controlled environment. So I think that as far as like rookie firefighters, that's the way that goes. Juniors, I think I would like to see eventually get those nerves out and get just get comfortable enough to get the nerves out but then to start showing the things that we're showing them and they're taking initiative and like you see it happening know that I support you going ahead and just taking the initiative and going and doing it on the call and if I see you doing it I'm just going to back off but if I don't see you move quick enough I'm going to do it if I happen to see it because it just has to be done and we'll talk about it afterwards so I think I'd like to see that initially but they have to know what initiative to take. I think a lot of firefighters might look at people like, well, you should take more initiative. It's like, what does that even mean? What do you mean when you say that? People don't know what you mean when you say that. They take more initiative and they walk away. <laughs> it's like, when I say initiative, this is what I mean. A, B, C, D, E. You got to lay it out. Like, I want it laid out. And then they have these people that are on the job have actually had goals. They've had things set in front of them and they've tackled them. So give them specifics and let them tackle the specifics. And then, yeah, have that growth mindset of always wanting to learn more and more and more. And I think I laid out, as far as the senior firefighter goes, I laid those rules out. And that happened because there's lots of rules for rookies. 101 rules for rookies. There's no rules for senior firefighters. Didn't I don't think it existed. I looked. Like that might be the first list. Maybe it's not. I'm not reinventing the wheel. But I think a lot of things I'm laying down and putting in, in actual words and, and manifesting are things that are already known and said. I'm just happy to be putting the words down. That's it. Right. And then the cool thing about knowing the way that you're built is like you said, you happen to be the one that's putting it down and you're more than willing to have someone add to it. Oh, yeah. Right? Again, like yeah. part of that tribe. And I'll add on to Dave's question. He asked about recruits and rookies and senior firefighters and officers, but you had just touched base on taking initiative. And as someone who's kind of only in their eighth year, so you're kind of in those awkward kind of teenage years, you haven't quite far from a senior firefighter and, and not a junior or a recruit. But you're kind of in that limbo, almost like in the teenage years of your career, where you're definitely trying to take leadership roles or, or, or take that initiative and definitely getting rookies underneath you. So I think like it's, how do you then at that point, you would say, take an initiative. And it, I can echo that. It's definitely tough. We work in a paramilitary environment. We're task oriented. Like you'd said, there's different expectations of a 24-year guy versus someone who's just hit the floor. You know the parameters that you can operate within once your boots hit the ground outside of the truck especially after you've worked with an officer for a certain amount of time. And different officers allow for different lengths of leashes on a fire call or, or whatever else. However, like you said, you do want to empower more and more as years click under people's belts. However, I think that it definitely is tough to know those parameters that you can operate within as one or two more years get under your belt. But I think that, again, if we can teach new people from the beginning to have those conversations, if you come in one day and you feel confident, come in and grab a coffee with you in the morning as their senior guy and say, how do you think I'm doing? Do you think that today I could try and do this? Or I've been thinking this. So again, it's, I think it's not taking that back seat. And I, for myself, it comes down to ownership and being an active participant every single day or every single year. I mean, most departments, we do performance appraisals. So use that almost as your benchmark. What's my plan for the next year? Mm. What conversations can I have with Scott if he's my senior guy? Right. What do I see for myself for the next year? So like you'd said, sometimes it's hard to take initiative but with that being said, we're all big boys and big girls. We chose to put our resume into the department. We chose to to show up every single day. How can I own this day? How can I own this shift? And that can even start from having a conversation if you're unsure. What we're trying to do is keep this 
maintainable, sustainable level of care all the way through. And yes, there's going to be ebbs and flows, but if you drew a line through all the dots on the dot matrix, there should be like a line that goes through, right? That you've got this constant level of care. And then that maybe in those years, you're like, well, the pressure's kind of off me because now there's a couple of rookies that have, quote unquote, rookies that have come underneath me. The pressure's off, the attention's on them. So where am I? And then I think as departments get younger, that's also where this the 50 year olds for the senior firefighter came in too, because I wanted it to be very clear because I realized what I had to grow into when these people that were leaving the department that we all were like, oh, thank God he showed up or thank God she showed up and they're retiring. It's like, they're not around anymore. So who's that leave? Oh shit, that's me. And if I haven't, again, on the back foot, like trying to play catch up, like I need to do something with that. Like I need to be something for these people as they were for me. So what do I do with that? So I wanted to make it very clear because as departments get younger, people are rushing to get that. Well, I'm the senior firefighter on the crew just because I have 10 years on and the next person has six. That ties into the, how I realize, like, oh, I kind of cringe when people say how long you've been on because then they're instantly judging me. Maybe even wrongly so in a too admirable way, like, oh, 24 years, you are, you must know this, this, and this. And we've all met people that have had that or more that are, should start over again. And we've met people that have been on two years and we're like, oh shit, that guy's outpaced or girl's outpacing me and they just got here. Like the whole years of service, just fucking throw it out. It does, it literally means nothing anymore to me. It doesn't mean anything. And Aaron, he said, it's time and fires. Time and fires is experience, not years in the job. So I wanted to lay that out very clearly. Like the senior firefighter isn't just something that you give yourself. Like it's something that you are. It's like a role that you are bestowed. It's bestowed to you out of actually people seeing you do shit. <laughs> Not because they walk in and they've got three and you've got 20. And this is what I want, especially with the three of us sitting down today and kind of reflecting on the last 50 episodes is being someone that's learned from you and now taught beside you and stuff is just echoing and letting people know. You and I have taken extracurricular courses together and been side by side and even watched you when I was in recruit class. There was one day and you, I don't know if you remember, but we were doing live fire and just the training didn't kind of line up and you came to us very humble as a training captain and just said, listen, my apologies, this didn't line up, such and such, but there was so much ownership. So right out of the gate, you set precedent to show for us if you chose to pay attention, ownership is a great thing, no matter your position, if you've got stripes on your shoulders, anything like that. So I think, again, no matter where you're at in your career, there's room for ownership. There's room for humble attitude as well as building that confidence. And like you said, confidence isn't necessarily arrogance. Arrogance, or, exactly. Or the loudest person in the room. 100%. Yeah, that was a powerful day because there was a way that I believed it should be run. And I was told because I was the newer that it's not going to run that way. This is the way we do it. And then, so then I wanted your class to know, and this is what I want everybody to know when I'm trying to help them is that I'm in the present moment for you. Like I'm thinking about this through you. I'm thinking about the audience when we do this. When I do it, I'm thinking about the audience. It's not about me just being me and everyone else reacting to me. So I had that moment of like, they need to know this. If I don't have control over this, it's not going well. And it's not like I wanted to be like, well, this isn't my fault. It wasn't that it wasn't my fault. I just wanted you to have transparency in the picture of what was going on. And I realized that this isn't happening properly for you. So just know that it can be done better and should be done better and will be done better, but it's not being done better today. And again, just for people listening today, like that was the example that was set that day, that it's okay when you have stripes on your shoulders or you're in a place of authority, it's okay to take that ownership to say, we're going to take a break. We're going to reset. This didn't go very well. It's okay. We're still going to do work today. We're still going to do work. 
But as you progress in your career, as you take on instructor roles or points of leadership, there's the ripple out effects. Okay. And then so the most powerful thing of that whole interaction that day Mm -hmm. and to show that when you show vulnerability and you like show up authentically and genuinely to people, what comes back to you? <laughs> and you're laughing. I know what you're going to say. <laughs> you, your whole class had this thing of like jelly roll, right? They right. Ju- jelly roll was actually like I had, they had a sign for someone that I guess was supposed to be in the class and they weren't there. You were down a member and yeah. I don't know where the jelly roll came from. To put it in perspective, in our, yeah, in our training division, we have a wall that every single recruit class, you know, as a, as a thanks and almost like a class picture, it's the onus is on the recruit class to make a plaque picture of the recruits and all your names and it's nice. You can go back and, and look at yourselves. But what we did was one of my colleagues in my recruit class came from police service and they had this team building exercise called Jelly Roll and this big group of <laughs> adults, whether in the police service or in the fire service, would hold hands and starts chanting. In a spiral. In a spiral. Yeah. Jelly, jelly. And you would literally curl in as a roll into each other and just start ch- chanting yeah. jelly. But like you'd said, as you came to us, humble apologetic. So I felt dejected. Yep. I felt sad. Yep. I felt that I'd let you guys down and I walked away and then you called me back. Right. And then that happened and I was like, We Fuck took you yes. in. We took you in. You were yeah. in the center of that jelly roll. Right. Yeah. So this is, again, the interaction of like, all you can do is put it out and what comes back to you, sometimes that like, that, that the universe tells you or the people around you tell you like, that is the way to be. I was never going to let that way of being go again. But how's that for automatic feedback? In that moment, within a span of five minutes, you came as a training officer, said your piece, walked away feeling bad, and we thought, no way. This guy is part of our tribe. There's ownership. He's making today strong. He's made the program strong. We're not letting today end. Yeah, and from that, I mean, we had had some time ahead of that, so I think you had an idea of the way I was, and and I had an idea of how you were, and there's always that kind of like respectful separation between you and the recruits, but I also wanted to have that human connection at all times, even though there was more of an official. Yeah, that was such a great acknowledgement of like, I see you, you see me. This is how we vibe and let's go to work. Like it was, I'm like, ugh, that was like a great moment in my career. So do that people. Be vulnerable, be open, say the things that need to be said, be an honest human being, be genuine, authentic, and then get in the jelly roll. (laughs) So let's finish that fourth one there, Scott. Mm. Don't get out of this. Well, of captains. (laughs) Okay, so the system of promoting captains is broken. Does that mean that we all need to boycott the system and no one write for captain? No. Obviously, we need captains, right? People should invest in the process. I've chosen to to not throw my hat in the ring for various reasons. Part of it is because the system's broken and I feel like if if the game's messed up, I don't want to play it, right? And I'm not in a position to change it. I'm glad that good people like yourself dive in to take the captain role. Like, thank God, thank God, like you, thank God you've done that and that I can be on that crew and be with you and we can do work together. Like, I feel very blessed for that, but I feel like I couldn't go ahead and write and be a part of it and take and try to get that role because of the things that I believe in. I just had to draw a line there. I also just really love just being on back. Like I legit just love that job. And I, I didn't like that pressure of, well, you just should write. Like, even if you don't know if you want to do it right now, just write and throw your hat in the ring. I'm like, oh my God, what? So you're not sure if you want to run a call with people trapped, but you should just put yourself in the front seat anyways. I could go on a rant here with a lot of reasons. That's just outright wrong. Like I didn't want to be pushed into the system and like try and just do it unless I really felt passionate about it. 
So I wanted to release that of like, what do I really want to do? Like, I love to drive. I love to pump. I love to be on the nozzle. I love to do work. Like, I love this. Like, and part of me even felt like, well, is that immature? Is it immature that I'm just choosing to do that and not quote unquote grow and expand? And if I'm not maturing, if unless I take a captain role and then take a DC role, and well, what's what's the limit to that? But then coming back to what actually makes up a good firefighter and what you actually have to fucking know, I'm like, this is not like a maturity thing. We need maturity in that role. Like the role doesn't make you more mature. And that's where I kind of, I roll my eyes sometimes where guys are like, oh, you know, I just rolled because I needed a new challenge. And I'm thinking, you never took on the challenge of being a firefighter. You're just fucking bored. You haven't paid attention to what you're actually supposed to do. So now you're just looking at, well, I guess that means I got to go to captain. It's like, oh my God, no. So then they just jump on that and then they're not good at that because they were never good firefighters to start with. Owning that role of like, what is actually encompassing in this role? What do I have to know? And it's bottomless. And I also felt like maybe I didn't have enough legit experiences to then be in that role and then tell people what to do in that situation. Like I felt like I needed more under my belt. So I didn't want to be rushed into that situation. To answer your question is like my respect for what that role actually is. So we have all these filters. People are scrutinizing recruits. Like, what did you do before the job? And how good are you right now? And like, what testing brings these people in? And they're all over rookies. Captains, write a test. Okay, have a job. Let's go. Are you fucking kidding me? The most important job in the whole fire service is the captain. And we're just letting people come in with a written test. Again, I have the utmost respect for the captain role. But our view of that role is fucked. It kind of is. And we're lucky we have good people like yourself to be in those roles. And we have a lot of them. But there are people that should not be in those roles. So what do I expect of a captain? I would like to, through drilling together, talking together, running calls together, I would like to reach a point where I'm valued and respected and appreciated enough that I'm not micromanaged. We're all adults. We're all in roles. And we have to know our roles. But... And enough is happening on a scene all at once that you, the captain's not always going to see it all or be there to see it all and make the call initially. So I kind of want that, like you mentioned the leash. I want to know what the leash is. Know that I respect you enough and value enough and understand the system enough and the incident command that I'm not going to just like, well, forget you. I'm just going to go. That's not going to happen. But there's going to be moments where I'm just going to act. I don't want to be worried that I'm going to spiral you and your stress situation it's not out of disrespect for you. So I don't think I want, you mentioned communication a lot. I think it's just that idea of like, know my intent and I know your intent. So I kind of want to have that mutual adult trust situation between the two of us in relationship that I'm given enough leash to just act and behave and do the job and you trust me and we're all working towards the same thing. Yeah. So not micromanaging. I've experienced that. Not belittling. Take your ego out of it because I'm trying to take mine out of it. Ego is rampant in the fire service and that's part of the way the citizens in the community like pour it on us we can burn a house to the ground and everyone's like oh thank god thank god you guys were here it's like we burned your house down <laughs> like we failed and you guys are plotting us we can't do things wrong if the public knew a lot things would change point being is that that goes to your head it goes to your head you lose perspective i'd like for us to be on the same page Again, it's not a joke, it's not a game. And if I mess up, it wasn't intentionally and I didn't disrespect you and we can have a conversation about it afterwards like adults. And I wanna not feel like I'm in high school, but I don't wanna feel like I'm, yeah, the 15 year old kid at the part-time job and you're telling me how to flip burgers. I don't want that either. 
So I want to be respected for what I do, and I want you to be respected for what you do. That's kind of my answer, what I expect for captains. To add to that, I think at the end of the day, right, it's like to make this whole thing flow better, you know, it comes back to just adulting, right? Where it's like, if I'm going to be mature about this, even if I see something happen at a call, there's a time and place for things too. Even if I don't necessarily say like, hey, I wouldn't have done it quite that way. It's like, maybe we can have a conversation about that later, but the job got done. So it's also honoring that time of kind of like what needs to happen right now and let's just get it done. Let's work for it. Let me like trust that. And I think there's one big thing about this role that's like, there's so much of it that happens around the kitchen table where you really have to, if you're not prepared to immerse yourself into people and really kind of own your side of a relationship of something, then you're not ready to do this role either. Because if you can't have that connection with someone, then at the end of the day, there's a fundamental gap in your relationship with your crew. Because if you're not willing to sit down and say like, hey, I'm going to really find out who you are and what your skill sets are and reflect that back on myself. To your point in writing this, when I wrote, there was no part of me that said like, hey, I've mastered the first class firefighter. It was not that at all. But I don't think we ever will. Exactly. Anybody who says, hey, I've mastered this role. All you've taught yourself is there's a level of ignorance there that you don't know how deep this rabbit hole goes. You can master skills within the role. I'm a master at A, B, C, and D. You can say that. But as far as all the things that are expected of the firefighter, no, there's no way. It's impossible. And there's no skill in life. Like think about any skill. Like if I'm, like we talked about, like in my podcast about how I get into woodworking. Think of what that rabbit hole does. What I found is like the more you know about a skill, all that does is further open the rabbit hole to know how much you don't know. (laughs) Right. Right. And like, you know, I was telling you this one day where I got into like, I have no interest in carving and stuff, but I got into this whole YouTube (laughs) rabbit hole of these like ancient Japanese carvers who used to like use these like almost microscopes to carve like hair. They would carve something for years on one piece. And you think like, what? And I have an interest in woodworking. I want to build things. I want to build furniture, but I have no interest in carving, but I can still understand what these rabbit holes are. My point being is that I think it's also important to understand like when you take on certain roles, if it's an office or anything like that, you don't necessarily have to be a master at something, but you also have to understand what your role entails. So if you're not willing to take on that responsibility of people and really immersing yourself in that role and in people and understanding the onion of every person and also how that carries forward to calls and everything, then you're really doing, I think, yourself and your crew a disservice. And I was kind of getting tired by the end of our podcast, but it really comes down to this idea of communication where you really have to be humble and you really have to sit back. And there's plenty of times we sit around and do training. I'm like, well, I didn't know that. But now that I watch you guys do that, I'm kind of saying, okay, now in my role, what can I do to then help you accomplish your skill set? Yeah. And unless you drill and talk together, then you don't learn what people know. Right. And then in that situation, when you have the choice to put a player in a position to do something, you know that you can ask them. Now I'll temper that and say that I think For me, car accidents are kind of like a great litmus test for like the job because that rookie that's with me for the very first day can think, oh, okay, well, I'm with Scott, so we're good. We're going to go to a car accident. There's going to be three cars involved, people in each car, and you have your own car right now. I'm not with you. I'm dealing with my own shit over here in this other car. Again, that blood drained from your head, like what is the actual reality? I'm not going to be with you all the time. And you may have one of the cars and we've been to those accidents We're in a massive scene. There's so many firefighters working. I am by myself in a car with a person. I'm making the decisions. Those are self-awareness moments of like, oh God, okay, I better not depend on these other people for all these things. And that idea I posted the other day about the narrative that we do everything as a team. It's like, yes, we do, but we can't afford to do every single thing together. Like we need to split and divide the work because so much has to happen five minutes ago. 
that I need to do this by myself and you need to do that by yourself and you do that. And then we're going to meet on the beach and then we're going to move in together. That has to happen. That's the important thing too, is not wiping your hands of, it's like, oh, now I wrote the captain's test. I can now wipe my hands and not train and not do those. But there sets. is that guy's right because they like, I don't, well, they'll stand back in training and not do the skill. I'm like, do are you work. kidding me? Yeah. Right. Like yeah. we're going into the same house fire. What if I have a problem? You have to pick the nozzle up and now you don't know how to handle it. Or what if you're three guys on a truck and you're down manpower? Right. So the, the captains that, so I would expect that of a captain, like just as I expect of an instructor, like you better be able to do what you're telling me you can do in context. And if you can't do it, then you shouldn't be teaching it and you shouldn't be a captain. Like that's, I know that's harsh, but that's the reality. Should I stand in like your little safety bubble right beside you? Because when we go into the house fire, nothing's going to happen to you. So I'm safe too. We're in the same fucking house. How can you not know if there's three patients, you're going to have to take one and you don't know how to drag them. And that's where the ownership comes from. give me the mic from. and I get ranting. <laughs> yeah. That's where the ownership comes from, right? Like you said, there are more or less, there's four sets of boots that hit the ground when we hit a call. And yes, it's a team environment, but unfortunately we show up to some scary scenes and shit goes sideways and sometimes people get hurt and sometimes those people are firefighters. So the rookie has to know it. Right. I have to know it. The right. captain has to know it. We all have to own that. Right. And if we all have that like <gasps> moment, that's good. <laughs> like, it keeps us honest and it also keeps us out of worrying about the other people dynamic bullshit that goes on all the time in the fire service and gets us refocused on like, oh, this is real and I have to know this. So then you refocus and then I think it helps get you through the days of like dealing with the people bullshit. And the other dynamic to that too, I think is so important is like being a part of the crew around the fire hall where last time I checked, it's in no one's job description to cook an officer dinner, to clean up after them. <laughs> and the same thing would be true for certain first-class firefighters that think that, that there's some hierarchy because I have X amount of years on and this person has X amount of years on that somehow things get done for me. As far as I'm concerned, like last time I checked, we all live at the fire hall and I'll be the first one to go clean bathrooms too, if they need to be done. I had the great example of Paul Cuthbert, who was my captain for a few years and the ultimate guy was like, he's been on the job 35 years at that time, been a captain for 27. And he's the first guy grabbing a broom and a brush and a mop and whatever. Right. And what kind of an example is that? Own every part of the job. And that's where the rule from that for the senior firefighters, that's where that came from of Yes, when you're coming in right now, like you don't come in as a blank slate, you have had experience, hopefully, whatever you have in your life, you can bring forward. We're not discounting, like keep your mouth shut and your ears open and speak when you're, you're not a child. If you know something, tell me, because I want to learn from you because you've bringing in new information. But right now in the fire service, as your newness is, what you have to offer is kind of doing some basic chores. But that doesn't mean that the other firefighters at their level shouldn't be doing other things. So maybe I'm on the phone that morning talking about going over to, to do training with somebody, or I'm talking to the captain about what training we're going to do today, or I'm diving into some information that I kind of want to pass on to you later. Like my point is that because I'm not cleaning toilets, I should be doing other shit that's benefiting everybody because that's what I have to bring for value. That's where that rule came from. There's a lot of layers. A lot of things need to go in every single day. Our fire halls never close, right? We work 24-7, 365. The fire station doesn't close. And like you guys said, I mean, senior, junior, whatever, bathrooms have to get cleaned. It is nice when a new guy or girl comes in and they know at this point in my career, I can do this. This is within my wheelhouse. And it's nice if they get to it first. That's nice. If it's not getting done, you're right. I know all three of us would hop in on it. But like you said, and for myself only being on eight years, now I think, okay, well, if my junior guy is doing that, 
what can I do? Can I get training coordinated for him? Can I take them out and let them check the truck over with me and give them kind of like a new thing to focus on? What can I do to facilitate the day? There is so much that needs to go into that. And it can get played on too, where it's a double-edged sword. I think everything usually is. Like I remember Jay Mackley saying at one point that he was on a crew and for that day, he'd been on 20 years and he was the rookie at the hall. So he ended up doing all the bathrooms. But I'm saying that that can get played in a bad way too. Like, oh, you're the less years on than us. And we already talked about what I think about years on. So now you're doing the bathrooms. It's like, we're all adults. We're here. If you see something needs to be cleaned, just clean it. I think for me is you would hope to think that everybody inside a fire hall is a doer. We're all hands-on. Yes. We're workers. And at once upon a time, I think that kind of sticks out for me is you sat in an interview room and said, I'm task-oriented. I want to be part of a team. <laughs> if you give me this opportunity, yeah. I'll work hard. Oh, yeah. And like you said, then we graduate from recruit class mm-hmm. and what? You get the t-shirt. And sometimes for some people, that turns off. We sure think I've arrived. Oh my God, yeah. So I think that that's unfortunately, as you hope that transcends that at the end of the day, we're all workers. So I've had it, you know, you go to take out the garbage and the rookie's like, oh no, I've got that. Okay, man, I've got this. We're all workers. This is our home. This is our home seven days out of the month. A quarter of the month you live there. Your mom's not coming in. The cleaning crew's not coming in. Something's got to get done. Just pick it up. And you had touched earlier on officers not micromanaging. And I really liked that. And I think that gets managed at different levels, whether it's a recruit, someone kind of midway through their career or a senior firefighter. And I think the easiest way to sum that up and something I've learned from you is running it through their filter. Dave, as your officer, is going to run it through Scott's filter. So if you take an action on the fire scene, and maybe it's not even something without Dave even saying it, he's got all the faith in the world and everything you would do on a fire scene. But let's say hypothetically you take an action that he didn't know was coming. He's going to run it through your filter and know that your actions, like you had said, are with good intention, with hours and hours of practicing, willingness to learn. You can still have the conversation after, but the filter he's going to run it through is yours with your years on. I know like, but like you said, like years in the fire and just your intentions as a person. And I think it's fair to say that the more that we spend these times, I mean, we all know that the hardest part of the job is those 24 hours that we do spend inside the fire station getting to know each other. But that gives an officer an opportunity to build that filter. So your officer is building the filter that is made up of you. You're building your filter that is made up of your rookie. Or dare I say, I also learned something potentially, right? (laughs) Like why not? Like if someone does something that's different, it's like, hey, that's different. Man, I like that. But man, mm-hmm. isn't, is you know? that- And it could be anyone. 100%. But is that not you sitting here as an officer? Is that not echoing one of the common themes in this in this recording is no matter where you are in your career, just be a student. You can be an officer. You can be an instructor. You can be junior, senior, midway, whatever it is. Just be a student because I know I want to learn more from those people. And the path that that has laid for me, and both of you have been important in my career professionally, not only personally, but professionally, but those examples of just be humble, be willing to learn, be willing to say, if you don't know something, I've been in the instructor role in teaching and had a question asked of me and just point blank said, I don't have that answer for you today, but I'll get it and I'll follow up with you. Or we'll look it up right now. And I feel like that, (laughs) and I feel like, yeah, exactly. But I feel like that builds that street cred. We cannot know everything all at once, but what I can do all of the time is be willing to learn. That's the constant. And then I think touching back again, what you said, Dave, about communication, it's all about communication. So if I say don't micromanage, like we could have a conversation of what that means. Like, what do I think micromanaging is? What do you think micromanaging is? So we're not just saying, oh, you're micromanaging. When you think you're not, but I think you are, 
but my colleague beside me thinks you're not. Like it's, we have to have a conversation at the table. There's needs to be expectations set down. What can you expect from me? Or maybe you don't even know what to expect from yourself on a fire scene because it's, you haven't been there yet. So we know ourselves as humans. We're going to be imperfect. I might've missed something, a miscommunication things are amplified taking all that into account. And then I think understanding the idea of like, if there's micromanaging, for me, it's all about the middle. Micromanaging is one end. The I don't even give a shit is the far other end. And I'm just here for me. Don't be that and don't be this. And somehow through communication, we're going to find something in the middle. And isn't it fair to say that depending on what the call is, that spectrum and that scale is going to slide? That three-car MVC that has multiple people trapped or that whatever X amount of patients trapped inside the home, let's just say that the leash is a little bit shorter and not because he doesn't trust well-intentioned or well-trained rookie or someone like with the caliber that you have. But it's at the end of the day, your officer is still a human that wants his whole crew to go home safe. So that leash can shorten and lengthen given the nature of the call. And as firefighters, give your officer a little bit of room in terms of just knowing that, hoping that their intention is to keep you safe. I definitely acknowledge that I need a leash. My mind is already in. Just know that I respect you enough and I know that I need it to be like, look at you like, huh? Yeah, okay, and then we're game on. Like there has to be that ability. But the more we know each other, the more that can be kind of nuanced. Or I'll know in more moments when I can do that and when I can't. And when I'm unsure, you know I'm going to look at you. And you'll either give me the go-ahead or you're going to have a conversation with me, something. And it can be quick, but you have to know each other well. Which, again, we could tie into the fact that we move around a lot and you get dropped in and 7 a.m. you're on a call and you don't know the captain you're with and they're brand new. Like It's it's so many variables or change that, which would tie into like, you could get into properly keeping crews together all the time and they always had the same officers and that would be better, but we don't live in a utopia. So it always ties back to that communication. But even if you're that firefighter that moves around, if I move to a different station, I like to ask the officer something simple. Do you want the tech up with you or do you want me to hold it? If we run a high rise call, like what do you expect? It's okay to have that conversation if you have the opportunity. But again, if you run that call during changeover and it's a bit of a mess, just show up, stay on their hip, see what they want, and then move within it. I mean, there is going to be a bit of organized chaos, but just stay safe and try and read the situation the best the way that you can. The rookie can have that, again, like with proper expectations, they can have that, well, I should know what, without being told exactly how they want the hydrant hit, that specific captain. And if they don't take you into the captain's office and like give you that a specific conversation about all the things they expect that day, or there's not time to, then they as a captain have to have that like, you just got here. I've never had the conversation with you. It's fine what you did. I understand where you're coming from. In the future, here's what I think I would like to see if you're with me for longer. That would be that conversation. And again, filtering through, giving them the opportunity, being real, being genuine, And if they push back and be like, well, that's what I was shown. That's what I'm supposed to do. It's like, well, that's a different conversation, (laughs) right? Then that turns on them and how they're approaching you. So I think we always need to approach each other with that. I'm aware of this. You're aware of that. Let's have a conversation. Let's find the middle ground. Some of these things too, like I remember specifically one call we ended up running where it was like smoke joint ended up being nothing really. I'm on the radio. I'm kind of ready to do my 360. I look back at you, you point it at the 45 and just kind of like give a quick thumbs up. And I know like when I was done my 360, when I came back around that building, like everything was done. And it's such a freeing thing as an officer too, to kind of like have that moment. You looked at me, point at that, boom, done. And I know it's getting done. That being said too, is like, if you can't, if you're on the back of the truck and you can't go through every scenario, if Caroline's with us that day and you can't go through every scenario, it doesn't matter if you're senior or rookie or whatever. It's kind of like, Hey, it's like, you know what? I point at the 45, that's all it needs to be done. 
we don't have to have some big conversation about it, but it also allows the freedom for me then to kind of do what I need to do as well. Right. That's the other thing as an officer, you shouldn't want your crew to be micromanaged, <laughs> right? Trusting your crew that they are trained. They know their job. They're good at their, what they do is that at the end of the day, it's like, if I have to micromanage someone, like I look at that as like a failure on myself. We don't have time. Exactly. And we there's not a time and place for it. Yeah. And any, any one of us, whether it's you or me or whoever, it doesn't matter. It's like, that's a failure in the system. And then the, we need to then kind of come back to the hall and go, whoa, what happened there? And let's fix this, communicate. And again, like I know I keep talking about communicating, but like at the end of the day, like that is the fundamental, that is the foundation of like kind of what happens, whether it's around the kitchen table or whether it's at a call. Yeah. So the rookies that we've had can attest to this because they've, they've had the experience with us and with me, but I've said to them, it's the same thing that's happening there with you, that communicating or you being okay with me taking initiative. And if, if it's something you see that you don't want me to do, you're going to step in. I have that conversation with the people then below me to say that on calls, if I see there's room for you to just experience and play and do, I'm going to let you go. But if I see something that needs to be happening immediately, you're not getting on it. I'm going to take it from you. And it's not a disrespect of like, I just, it needed to be done. And then we'll have a conversation later. So they know when that happens in the moment that I'm not get out of the way, you're not good enough. It's like, there's a reason why it's happening. It's not always going to happen. We're going to baby step our way towards until I know, and we all know, and you know, you're comfortable where we can all have the proper expectations and the tone set. But that's conversation. If I don't have the conversation with, there's going to be misunderstanding. So I think what I'm trying to always do is avoid misunderstanding and get all the bullshit human behavior stuff out of the way so that we can just focus on the work. But if I can add to that, so you're saying if we can get all the bullshit stuff out of the way, I think it's fair to say, at least this is how I feel, is when we are on scene, there's no room for our feelings. If I was a recruit or a rookie and just hit the floor and I was on your guys' crew and whatever, you would see me not take initiative or not get a task done that was well within my wheelhouse and you did it. There's no room on that fire scene. When someone's having their worst day, they called 911, we showed up, tasks need to be done. There's no room for the feelings, but there is a lot of room to get back to the fire hall and have those conversations. We're here for each other and we're here for them, right? We have to show up for them. And if those tasks aren't getting done, to show up for them. It needs to get done. That ownership has to be on you. That actions need to be taken and your feelings can't get hurt. Yeah, the human side can't be overemphasized to how important it is. We don't want to remove it. I think maybe some old school wanted to like, some like wanted to completely remove it. And now I kind of understand that. It's like, oh, like now I get it why we did certain things a certain way or why they had a certain attitude the way they did. They just took it to the extreme because they had both feet firmly planted in this is not a fucking joke. Both feet. Where you need to have another foot in, like I said, in the empathy and the human side of things. I think that's that balance. But if you have your feet firmly, both feet in the other side of things, that's not good either because this is not a joke. I think that's what we're trying to say. So as long as we're always oscillating between those two things and we're trying our best to live in both worlds at the same time, that idea of being a warrior and being like the Buddha at the same time, I think then we're okay. And that there's going to be things along the way that ebb and flow, but overall we're going to get it right. So let's talk about that human side a bit, if that's all right. Sure. Like, what about that idea then of like, we talked a bit about it, not trying to be uh, <laughs> tooting my horn in terms of what we talked about. And I'm sure you've talked about other podcasts too, but it was like this idea of like the blank slate. So if a recruit doesn't come as, to us as a blank slate and this idea of like, we might even come to work as a hundred percent. We always talk about wanting to come to work and give our hundred percent and do all that kind of stuff. But there are days we come to work and the reality is we cannot choose our shifts. And when we come to work and the night before something might happen the day before the week before, whatever it is, 
how do we then balance that human side and kind of that idea of being a blank slate? The blank slate ties into when you first come in as a recruit and then training officers are treating you like you've never had any life experience, you know nothing at all about anything, and they treat you like a child. Not true. Especially now when we're expecting people to come in with higher and higher levels of things, they've had some life experience. Yes, they need to know this new thing. Some of it they may even know from volunteer, but again, this gets back to getting to know each person and like who they are and how they're approaching things, what their intent, what their feel is. But they're not a blank slate, so they have something to offer. Hopefully, like, would you want a blank slate? Would you really want a blank slate that you got to teach everything to? Here's how you walk. Here's how you put your coat on. Like, you don't want that. So don't treat them as if they're that way. And then there's the psychological aspect of it. Like this idea that, the job is the only thing that gave you PTSD. That's the only traumatic experience you've ever had. Okay, I've met enough people and have been me for long enough to know that people have past traumas, right? And shit that's happened to them. And unless they completely be self-aware and they dive into it, you're not going to uncover it. And you're coming in real time in your life, whatever experience you're in with all that stuff. So they already come in with baggage. So this would tie into like probably doing, hopefully we could do some psychological screening ahead of time doesn't say you could never have the job. It'd be like doing a physical and realizing your back is about to blow out. Probably a good idea that you found that out and we found that out. Now you can go and get that figured out, come back in, and now you're good, right? The best you can be. So psychologically, I think we could do that too. It's like, based on your scores, it's not a good fit for you right now. That's out of respect for you, out of respect for us, out of respect for people that we're going to help. It respects everybody. God, if anybody, like how big I am on mental health, like it's, it's actually for them. So for them to realize like, oh my God, I didn't realize I had generalized anxiety or I'm bipolar or whatever. That's good. Like you figured that out. Now you can do X, Y, and Z about it. When you come into the job, the job's not just going to destroy you. Again, blank slate. So we have to realize that people come in. So that comes into not only the administration and peer support and the fire department realizing that people may have had past traumas and the job would add on top of that. But it's also for that person to then realize too, that the job for personal accountability, oh, this job fucked me up. It's like, yeah, I did. That's part of it. But maybe, I'm just saying maybe, you also had all of this other stuff that that was a straw that broke the camel's back. When you bend over to pick up the pencil off the floor and your back blows out, it wasn't the pencil. It was everything that happened before and it was just waiting to go. So that's not always a situation, but I'm trying to talk about personal accountability. So that idea of the blank slate, I think. You don't want that for people coming in. You want them to have something to add. So let them add it right? And have conversations. And then they need to know and you need to know and everyone needs to know that the job isn't the only traumatic thing that's ever happened in your life. And you need to address all of it. You need to address the stuff before, you need to address the stuff now, and you need to make yourself resilient for the stuff coming. It's not just about the old school, like suck it up. That's not what it's about. It's about dig it up. I guess dig it up. I've never said that before, but I think in this conversation, I'm like, dig it up. Dig that shit up and unearth it. And then that's what you need to do. So then what does grit and resilience mean to you? (sighs) Yeah. So again, I'm going to keep coming back to, because that's where I'm at right now in my mindset with the job is that one foot firmly planted in two places. That foot then is, I guess it would straddle both, but that'd be the middle, but that old school, like if you want to think about salty and we say salty and old school, it it conjures up something. What we need to hold from that is this is blue collar. It is not a joke. This is hard work. It's going to suck. I don't want to have to do A, B, and C either. It's going to be terrible, but it has to be done. So you have to be in this, somehow figure out how you suffer and still operate. 
how you suffer and still persevere, how you extend yourself beyond where you think you can be extended. I think that's grit. That's what grit is. I love that sticker I've seen on the back of some military helmets. It says, stop screaming, I'm scared too. (laughs) (laughs) Right? So that's grit to me. It's like, I'm fucking scared too. This is crazy. But we still need to move forward. We have to do, we're it. No one else is coming. Like and that's we're nine one one. We're nine one one. So it's like, yes, it's cold. Yes, we haven't eaten. Yes, you're tired. I don't want to be doing this either in this moment. This was it in the brochure. But it doesn't fucking matter. <laughs> like, the, so can I add to that? Yeah. So do you think that we're born with grit, or do you think that experiences in this job build it? Yeah. So I think I would lean on Jordan Peterson, and I'm not going to paraphrase him properly, but. His level of knowledge of the core personality traits that people have, agreeableness and conscientiousness. I think getting like, this is a self-awareness thing. So the more you learn about yourself and you reflect on experiences you've had and think about how you want to be in the future and what you're working on right now to, to build that, like it all starts with the individual. You may learn about yourself that you don't have a lot of grit. You just don't. <laughs> Whether it was your nature or your nurture, right? Whatever the epigenetic idea that you have a switchboard and experiences are flipping on and off breakers and then that combination of things creates who you are, right? That's not nature, not nurture. It's, it's the experience of everything. So understanding that, I think you should be, again, humbled and even more fascinated by like, who the hell am I? Well, how do I operate? Can I? And until you put yourself in these experiences, you don't know how you're going to operate. This is a lot of that. You're talking about romanticizing the job. So I'm going to steal that and kind of like jump off that point. I've thought recently about a lot about the fantasy of the job and the reality of the job. And I get why people would have fantasies about the job. I can't put you in real time rescues and vezes over and over and over and over again. Like I wish I could be put in that situation because then I'd be like, okay, I know I've done this 20 times. I know how I am in the situation. If you haven't been, all you have is what other people are telling you, your training and what you think you're going to do. But that's a fantasy. And that's okay. Like I get it because that's all you have right now. And that's all I have right now for experiences I haven't had. But then there's going to be the actual reality, the way it's going to be. That would be a problem with the service too, is that we have a lot of fantasy fires in our minds. We have a lot of fantasy rescues in our minds, a lot of fantasy car accidents in our minds, and they can get in the way of our experience of actually operating in real time on the call. So we can romanticize it and then even maybe talk ourselves up sometimes about like what we're going to be capable of. And then the moment comes and you know you're not that good. Either you're not that good baseline or you're not that good because you're off that day. And then you're going to destroy your mind because it's like, I thought I was this and I'm not. And you could even think about not being in the service. Like it really gets messy. But the more self-awareness you have and the more you know who you are and you're putting yourself in hard situations that, Dave, you're talking about riding the bike and just like suffering on the bike. Right, you did a 15k run the other day. I'm sure it wasn't all roses. No, it was tough. It was good. It was tough. Yeah, and then today you're feeling yeah. it. Like yeah. so, you're suffering during, you're suffering after, but you get to know who you are when you suffer. So when you figure that out, I think that then helps me tie into the moments coming that I haven't been in yet, and how I'm going to operate, how I hope I'm going to be, or at least I can draw back on that experience and pull that grit out of that and like put it in that situation. And also, you and I have had tons of conversations. The three of us have about resilience and then building that resilience, right? It's like building and expanding your bank account. So again, like we've all done races, like like you said, ran races and you do it on no sleep, you know, coming from shift the night before, et cetera. But with that being said, again, we're coming into, we've had some common themes in our talk today, communication being one, but ownership being another one. So I can ask my body to go on no sleep from a shift, then go into a race. But my ownership, knowing I've got to have to go back into work in a couple of days is now that I've asked that of myself, how do I build that resilience and that grit? 
well, for me to go into work and own my actions, I have to now rest. I have to drink water. I've got to eat good food. I have to, whatever, get a good workout in or reset or meditate or take that nap. So I feel like that's how we own our ever-expanding resilience grit. Yeah, and that would be that other foot in the side of the human side of things. Right. It's the one foot in this is not a joke. This is not a game. It's brutal. It's hard. Suck it up. And then there's the other foot in like, I am not going to be at my best if I don't do A, B, C, and D. And we love Dave Goggins. Like we need those extremes to show like, oh my God, like I thought I was hard. That's what's possible. But even he says like, don't live in the, the extreme that I live in. Cause you can see where Ronnie Coleman, like extreme pusher. What's the cost? There's always a cost. There's always a cost somewhere. Look for where the cost is. So then how do you... Yeah, you have to pay the bill at some point. In real time, how do you balance it out? And then how do you come in at least... We're not all coming in at 100%. I get it. Don't come in at 20. How do you know yourself when you wake up in the morning like, I I can do this today? I think that to me is the thing. And then, or I know my body enough that I've done, like you said, A, B, and C. I need to do these other things or I'm not going to be in good shape to go in tomorrow. Yeah, because you don't want to be the guy or girl that goes in on shift and you say, we're checking the trucks together and hey, Scotty, how you doing today? Oh man, I'm so bagged. But if that's your normal, if I hear that from you at the beginning of every single shift, then I know that you're not doing the self-care or the ownership after whatever you've done to come in and actually show up to run that call. And I think we signed the contract when we chose this. It's like, yeah, that sucks that you have to maybe forego some bad behaviors or bad choices because you have this to do, but you said you wanted to. Right. So that's what it costs. It's a non-negotiable. And I've learned that over my career too. Like I've come in hungover. I've come in super tired. Like and life has hit me and I'm like, I can't call in sick because I'm like, I've had all the experiences. I get it. Like. I've done it, but I'm, what we're trying to hand over here is, is looking back on it and now how we're operating now. Again, I wish I would have from day one operated a bit more balanced than I did early on. It's looking back in hindsight and learning from that. So let me ask, like we've mentioned it and like you had said, you kind of touched base on that question I wanted to ask about romanticizing. And I want to ask in the 24 years that you've been on the department, have there been ebbs and flows or what points have you felt that de-romanticizing? Have there been points that you've fallen out of love with the job? Has it been through the actions of others? Has it just been as you learn realities of the job? Has it been self-driven? And with that being said, has it ebbed and flowed in the career? And with that being said, how have you come back from that to still be 24 years in and love and be passionate about the job? Yeah, I think if I had a dime for every time I've like taken this massively deep sigh and been like, okay, how do we do this? Like, I think I'd be very, very rich. So the first disenchantment, now this will come in because I got on when I was 23. Now I'd worked since I was 13, but you're naive, you're not really paying attention to the world and the people are around you. And then I also had, even though my dad was on the job for 20 plus years, he was great at maybe not immersing ourselves in the job. Right. So that led that that allowed me a lot of room to just choose what I wanted to do. It just and I've told the story before about why I ended up where I ended up. I think I still had this romantic idea of like, oh, those people, special operators, Navy SEALs, even teams we don't know about, JTF, like I want to assume that they're all the same and there's no bad apples. But my mature life experience now is kind of like I imagine they probably have problems too. I'm just going to put that out there. I don't know. I know nothing about the team. So I'm just going to make an assumption. Maybe when you get to that elite level, it it filters all that out. I don't know. You would definitely hope. Yeah. So again, I think I definitely hoped or thought like because it was so hard to get on, everything I learned about the job as I could, I thought everyone's going to be like A, B, or C. 
in the realm. They're all here for the right reasons. And then you get on, you're like, why are you here? You don't even like people. Like, you don't even like this job. You don't like any job. You're fucking lazy. Like, why are you? My whole world cracked, right? But then very quickly through myself, through talking to other firefighters, I realized like, oh, like I remember seeing, it was someone that was talking about movies and kids being afraid of the villains. And maybe it was Jordan Peterson. Anyways, they said, don't focus on the villains, focus on the heroes. Focus on how they're operating on the way that they are. Like that will help you navigate the difficult things you're gonna watch in the movie to the kids. Focus on them. What's their journey? What's the hero's journey? So I think I had this realization that to tie into and align with the heroes, the people were like, oh, you're here, you're here, you're here, and you're here, and you all embody what I thought this was going to be. Every industry we go into, airlines, surgeons, whatever, you're going to have these people that aren't there for the right reasons. That's just the way it is. And we're not unique to that. And I guess I've always hoped we were unique to that as any first responder community would, but we're not. So that's that naivete and the veil being pulled back. (laughs) You're losing your innocence and realizing, oh, okay. It doesn't mean you can't be upset about it and try and push back on it and change it and push it and bring the culture up. Like But you have to accept the fact that there's going to be people in the job that, that don't deserve to be there, aren't there for the right reasons. So that disenchantment happened early on. But then I guess being a part of the FireFit community, being part of peer support, going and taking extra courses, you start to find, oh, there's more people out here that are like this and just, just focus on them and try and live up to them and, and, and learn from them. So yeah, and there's been disenchantments with people in leadership roles and disenchantments with people in administrative roles. There's some disappointments with myself along the way. And I've been disenchanted. I think when we first got back before Caroline sat back in after our break, I said that I kind of oscillate between the not feeling good enough to be in this job and do this because I realize what you have to be to do it. And then oscillating back to I'm good enough. And I'm kind of like always balancing between both. And sometimes I'm more leaning towards one than the other. I'm going to see that as a blessing. Like it keeps me honest. And if I can land somewhere in the middle, I think I'm, I'm doing okay. Tied into that then, how have you seen in your 24 years, like how you've physically prepared yourself for the job? So like how have you, coming from combat, and you said you're almost doing that from day one where potentially the idea of combat is like, hey, you're going to go to the gym, you're going to crush big weight and be really strong and quote unquote strong. (laughs) So I realize there's, again, like especially someone like me who had quite a drastic change in their fitness because of my injury to my shoulder and so how has that changed in your 24 years and where are you at now? And like, how would you then potentially have a conversation with a recruit after year one about what fitness is versus right now, what would you say to recruit about what fitness is and how do you prepare yourself for the job that way? Yeah. So maybe I'll start with current and maybe dive back. So I, I tend to bounce around. So I think I touched on before, I think the skills show you if you're fit or not. They literally, that's it. That's litmus test. I don't need to look at you, make a judgment, know how you look in the mirror, like, can you do this or can you not do it? It's literally that simple. And here's why you have to be able to do this in this way. You have to be able to throw a 24 foot ladder by yourself. You just have to. And if you can't, then you're capable of getting strong enough to be able to do it. But then you need to set your path in front of you, like about how to do that technique, strength, whatever training you need to do. That does it for you. So if you're doing, you can have all these ideas in your head of romanticizing, like I'm going to be X, Y, and Z when I go on the scene, but can you do the skill or can you not? And that'll let you know, are you fit or you're not? Are you, is your cardio good enough? Are you mobile enough, agile enough? Do you have a good enough range of motion? Are you strong enough? 
what techniques do you need to adapt because of your body type? Like what do you need to focus on because you're kind of more genetically gifted in the strength category, but not in the cardio category. So again, it's all comes back to self-awareness and understanding and, and the job telling you what you need to live up to. No one else has to tell you, the job will tell you. So yeah, I think we also then need to put in context like what I'm so jealous of people that are getting in the job right now because of what they have available to them as like resources and what it's like, they kind of have zero excuse now. Like I could look back and go, I kind of had an excuse because I had the library and the card index and like maybe the people around me and their anecdotes, but I had nothing. If the manuals, which we know we might as well just set training fires with them. Well, she didn't even have. Right. Yeah. Right. (laughs) So, so we got to put things in context, like what we know now about fitness and what you're able to learn about your body and operate now is way different than what we learned before. So not only A, I think I've changed because knowledge has changed. I've changed because my body's given me feedback. Like I think it was the hardest I've ever trained with combat. And when I first came into the job, I started doing that recruit class. So I was at that level of fitness and strength doing the job, like the high rise pack, like it was never, ever heavy. And then as soon as I got out of combat and I wasn't at that like pushing the limit kind of because you can't maintain that because I listened to my body and I kind of had started to have a few yellow lights with like a hip and then my elbow. And it's like, well, if I keep pushing like this just to like do this thing, I'm not going to have a career. So I, again, I had to have that sobering moment of like, well, just push it. Just keep pushing. Just go and get the treatment. Just keep pushing. It's like eventually you're going to blow something out. So I had that moment of realizing like I got to adjust this experience to giving my body feedback, right? So to dial things back a little bit and change things along the way. And then there's changing as you age. So how I was working out when I was 20 is not how I worked out when I was 30 is not how I worked out when I was 40 and three years from now I'm going to be 50. So I've had to change that too. And then, like you said, what you knew early on about working out was just like get in the gym with the metal weights, Guns N' Roses is blazing and you're just banging things out and probably hurting yourself going in and doing it again and again and again and again. So then I realized through these yellow lights that I had and red lights that I had to change the way I approach things, be more mobile, do more self-care, remove weights completely, do body weight. Can I still be fit doing that? Where I'm at now is I do mostly body weight stuff. If I'm going to do a chin up, I want to be able to do a full range, hang, dead hang all the way up. Can I do three? Yeah. Okay. Well then work up to doing 10. That'll get you just as strong as doing lat pull downs on the machine. So that kind of idea obviously sports and mental health like that's really uniquely tied into mountain biking with snowboarding with like surfing with like whatever I can see myself getting into or or diving into and getting in that flow state that's really important for fitness and then drilling with equipment at work so putting yourself in the gear and doing the actual work so I think between knowing what limit your body can take gym wise or not gym wise just workout wise and then what actual functional sports you're involved in and then what kind of like functional work you can do at work. I think those three things tied together and then you got to make use of your benefits and get massages, do the cold showers, get the Cairo, like sleep, sleep, you know, maybe sleep. That might be good. Right. So the idea of like, you know, going to work all night and then going to part-time all day and then going to work all night and going to part-time all day, like it looks good on the balance sheet, but we talked about everything has a cost. Everything has a cost that has a cost too. And is that cost worth it to me? No, A, it's not worth it to me because I won't have a long, healthy career and I'll injure myself. I won't be able to do this job that I love and won't be able to do the things I love with my kids. But I also won't be functional when I come into work with people I'm working with because I'm subpar. So there's a cost. Maybe I can't part-time every single day and make a lot more money. Well, and to your point too, it's the responsibility of like having signed that contract of saying like, hey, this is my job. I'm ready to do the job when I go to work. So with that being said, in fitness, and sometimes we kind of get into those heavy gyms and we've got that 
I know it's interesting saying this as a female, but that bro culture, right? Whether it's in the gym or on the job. But with that being said, and fitness being, it's just a flat out requirement. It's not an option in our job. When people call 911, they're expecting basically for Olympic level athletes, neurosurgeon, mechanics to get off this toolbox they've just driven there, right? So it's fitness is not an option for us. It's a necessity. I think we've laid out pretty well in this episode so far, everything in our career ebbs and flows, but it's okay to come in and have conversations with either your officer or or your colleagues and just say, this stressor in my life is going on. This is kind of where I'm at. But with that being said, there is sometimes that, again, bro or whatever culture, just to use a a bit of a term. How do you find that fits in, whether it's the, the negative pressures of fitness or those judgments? And how do you find that ebbs and flows in the in the fire service and whether some people are feeling those pressures or other people fall victim to it? How would you kind of help someone navigate through that? Dave talked about communication. And I think I need to lay out to that person very clearly that I understand where you're at right now. I understand that you have good intent. I understand that you're a good person. This is no slight on you and judgment on you in any other realm. It's just showing that I'm seeing or these skills are showing you that you can't do this. It's okay to say that. It should be okay for me to say that you can't throw a ladder by yourself and that's a problem. That's not a judgment on them as like a person. That's just one thing. They should be like, yeah, you're right. I'm not. Then you show them how they can work to get to that point. I think that needs to happen. That's that foot in two worlds again. That's the, so then you need to give them the tools and show them hopefully the way. I can't say it's not frustrating if they've come to that point, they actually get on the job and the filters haven't brought in someone that can actually do it. When there's probably a few people that we know that could. That's a whole other, but we have no control. They filtered the way they filtered. We have who we have. They show up day one and they can't do these three things. Yes, that's a problem. Yes, that's frustrating. If they're coachable and teachable and they're capable and they want to take on the work, it sucks that now other people on scene are going to have to pick up that slack and do that stuff because now we're down a person because you can't do these three things that you should be able to do. It's not a neutral effect. It's actually a negative effect. This isn't take your kid to work day, but it is what it is. So now here's the tools in front of you and I'll help you in every way you want to get stronger. And I always try to use myself as a litmus test has been like, there's a lot of times where I don't feel fit enough for the job. I don't think there's a limit to that. Like I might not ever feel like no matter what happens, I'm fit enough. It's like, cause I've bumped up against too many experiences where I wasn't fit enough, even though I'm trying super hard. So I also have that balance with myself and with other people too. Like we're not superhuman, but don't come in as a slug, at least make some effort. Well, like you said, like there's that sliding scale between that bro culture and judging people right off the bat. Like you said, no matter what your stature, size, or muscle mass looks like, you can still possibly be able to, like you said, throw a 24, whatever, just get the job done. But with that being said, have we gone so far possibly from the bro culture that we've gotten too soft or too accepting or too too far into the messaging that, oh, it's okay, there'll always be someone around? Yeah, and that ties back into what I just said about the narrative, like we do everything as a team. We can't afford to do the ladder as a team, forcing the door as a team, deploying the hose as a team. We can't do all that as a team. We don't have time. Yeah, sometimes you're the only truck on scene, right? Yeah, and so even if there are a bunch of trucks, like we just don't have the time to do it all together. We need to divide the work and meet up on the beach and then move together when we're 
or we're at a car accident, like you're in yours and I'm in mine. Like we don't, we're not always together. Maybe in the past years, we've kind of fought against that bro culture, right? And judging each other. And I wonder sometimes with this push towards an accepting environment that we've almost gone too far the other side, right? Like we've really hit consistently again during this episode about balance. I like that whole one foot on the human side and one foot on this job has a lot of serious realities to it. And your feelings always matter. But when you're there at the threshold of the door with the gates of hell kind of burning in front of you, there's no time for feelings. And there's definitely no time for lack of engagement and training and ownership on your skill set in the job. So I'm just curious if we're going a little bit too far the other way. So let me use the 65 or the two and a half as the example. So it's super common in the fire service to just not want to use a larger line because it's too heavy or they don't know how to handle it. Oh, it's an exterior. There are all these judgments on it. So again, the work in the job to me is the reality that I can say to myself and I can say to other people, whether it coming across as I'm making a judgment personally on you, because this is what I think about you. It's like literally the job will do it all for us. So again, this comes down to knowledge. You learn that it's GPM versus BTUs. That's literally what it comes down to. And this is why, and you, I, I love to put things in perspective for rookies in this way. I'm like, that's why when you watch a video and there's a fully involved house fire and they have a garden hose on it, that's why you laugh because it looks ridiculous, right? And that's why if you saw them put out a barrel on fire with a deck gun, you would laugh. So you understand these extremes, but at some point you got to like, when you come into the spectrum inside, there's going to be that moment where like the 65 is called for, like there's that transition where more water is called for. And you can try and think that you're always on the 45 end of the spectrum, but you're not. So that just needs to happen. Like we don't get to dictate it. Like it, that's just what it calls for. That's not me just saying, well, I want to handle the big line and look like a big shot and get on IG. It's like, that's not what it's about. It literally, that's what it calls for. So we have to do it. Yes, that sucks. Do I want to do it? No. Do I wish I could pull a 45? Yes. Do I wish I could put it with a can? Yes. Do I wish the fire didn't happen? Yes. But we're here and it's happening and this is what it calls for. So to me, the job is, it's literally physics. It's physics. There have to be people that are not physically built for this job. There has to be the spectrum somewhere, right? There's a bottom end right? My daughter at 12 years old cannot do this job. She's just not physically capable of it right now, right now, but she could grow and eventually, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm just trying to paint a, an extreme picture to say that it's physics. So at any person, no matter what their stature, they have to be able to use these skills as a litmus test, as the measure of like, that's the skill. And now I can choose to make myself capable of doing that through technique, through strength training, whatever it is. And if you're not then you can't do the job. And we understand that if like my IQ and my dexterity isn't good enough to be a surgeon, I probably shouldn't do that job. There's a reason I'm doing this and not that. My feelings aren't hurt when I realize that I can't do that job and I just have to choose something else. But why are we sliding on this so far on the spectrum with this job? It's like anybody can do it. It's like, no, not anybody can do it. Just like every other job. And I, sometimes I feel barely able to do it. Well, to go back to episode one with Jordan Paris, didn't he say that originally he wanted to be a pilot and he just because he's too tall. I mean, this is a very easy example. Cockpit. He didn't fit. So what, they're so supposed to adjust the size 100%. of the plane for him to fly the plane? Right. That's an easy example. But yeah. I mean, like you can take that template and apply it, which right. is why we have entrance exams and both physical and intellectual However, sometimes it's too bad because we've almost taken these benchmark tests out of the job along the way, whether it's classifications, whether it's promotional exams, there is a time and place for them and we need them. And we should almost sometimes be 
all too happy to be evaluated because it's an affirmation that you're meant for the job. I think we should be happy. We should embrace the fact. This is like there's no annual testing for fitness or firefighters. This is even talking about getting on the job and like being ready. But if this does not stop. Like you said, it, it's all encompassing through your whole career. To not have annual testing to keep your job, literally to keep your job. You can be pulled off and then trained up and then back on again, but everyone's afraid of that. Like we should be embracing it. The citizens should embrace it. The person themselves should embrace it. Like we should embrace it. Like these tests that we constantly have to go through to show whether we're ready or not. And we can talk about what those tests are, but the moment we re release all those filters and just give anybody the job, it's like, well, then what do you expect to happen? Do I think that they're removing too many filters? Yes, I think they are. I've had ideas on how to properly filter people and how I wish I was filtered. Maybe when I got on at 23, it wasn't ready. Maybe I shouldn't have got the job at 23. Maybe I should have got it at 33, but I did. And they let me in and I kind of figured it along the way, but that's luck. Maybe like I'd look at it personally. Like that doesn't say like I was ready at 23 knowledge wise, skill wise, all the wise, right? Maybe I would have had to been disappointed. And then maybe would have had to have a long talk with myself and saw if I wanted to actually try this or not. But we're okay with specialty teams like these SEALs and that we understand Hell Week, why they put them through Hell Week. Like, oh, that makes sense. But we don't have to do something like that. And there's a balance. You don't have to be David Goggins. You don't need to be going through Hell Week every week. But there is some kind of level of, more often than not, you're trying to be physically fit and you're using your honesty and self-awareness to know if you're capable of doing skills or not. And we talk about balance too, and that idea of like David Goggins sometimes isn't that balance. And I know personally in my life, one of the reasons why I have a full shoulder replacement at 40 years old was because I didn't have balance in my fitness at that time. You recognize that you struggle with it now. I still do because, you know, like there's so many times I get on the bike, I've switched what I do and I get on the bike and I'm going, today's going to be an easy day. And then I'm on the road and then there's, I see a cyclist way ahead of me and I go, it's go time. <laughs> 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 right. And I, it shouldn't be because as Caroline said, like, Maybe that was a day where I worked the day before and I was, we got crushed for calls all night and I'm exhausted <laughs> and I didn't fuel properly because we were running so many calls and et cetera, et cetera. And then I go out and crush myself on the bike and go, well, I work tomorrow. Isn't it crazy that sometimes we hold ourselves to different standards than you would say to a friend, you all know, the time. I'd be quicker and we talk to about this all the time. I would I'm the biggest hypocrite <laughs> yeah. and I know that. Yeah. I'd be like, you guys need some rest, <laughs> but I won't. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And this is where we've always kept each other honest, I think, in this circle right here, is that the caveats of like, you don't need to caveat everything you're going to say about, I know you. So when you celebrate this great thing you did, just tell me how great you did and that you crushed it and you were amazing. Like, just tell me. Or that great thing would be like how you crushed a nap. Yeah. like Right? Hey, yeah, so I yeah. didn't go biking. Yeah. I didn't chase that person down. And you know, I turned around and went and had a nap. Sure. Yeah. And I crushed that nap. Yeah. So you don't need to caveat everything with me. I'll celebrate your wins. I know who you are. I know it's not arrogance. Like I know you. So just tell me, just celebrate things. Let's talk about the good things in your life. And you can talk about the hard things in your life too. See, I would rather have someone that like needs to pull the reins in on themselves and bring them back a little bit than have someone that you got to push to that extreme. I think it's easier to rein back that than it is to get into that mindset. Well, I think that makes a lot of things easier. And, you know, like we talked at times too, about this idea from like a peer support team of the greatest day of, in the peer support world would be the day we don't need a peer support team. Yeah. You teach yourself out of a job. Right. And that's exactly what it is. It's like taking the ownership of those times and balancing those things and, and all being there for each other and having these circles where we all have these things where we can talk to people and say like, Hey, you know what, this is what you should maybe need right now. And coming from an empathetic place where again, I know you, it's not that I don't want you to be fit. 
but maybe you going out and jumping on the mountain bike and killing yourself for five hours today isn't what you need. Again, getting back to recruits, like I've had recruits come through and they're fitter than me. And it's like, oh, <laughs> right. And that pushes you versus the other way, right? Of having someone that's not fit at all. And you realize, oh my God, how are we going to surmount this? It's important to have those honest conversations with yourself. And then you're setting the tone in your culture for them as well. If we want to talk to on rookies, like I've said to recruit classes, like I'm going to outwork you. I'm literally going to outwork you. I'm twice your age and I'm going to crush it. And I should, that was one of the rules too, because I know how to do this. So I should do better than you, but I'm also going to like set up, crush the demos, do the skills. I'm going to clean up and you're going to see me not stop. Like you're setting the tone for like, here's what we're capable of doing. But again, if someone's injured, not feeling well, not in the right place, or if I'm that way too, they also know that I'm not just going to be ridiculous and just do that regardless and just throw caution to the wind. Like there's that balance. But again, it all comes back to conversation. They have to know where it's coming from. And this is where with like even discipline with recruits, right? I came in and it was like way to the extreme. Like, and, and I think that means nothing when it's in the extreme like that because everything you do you just get shit on for it's like it doesn't mean anything but if you're a good person you're giving them everything on a, on a silver platter and then they're actually it's all on them and then it, it's warranted it's like when you actually do it it's like whew, he doesn't hand this out very often he's livid something's behind this we obviously own it and we we deserve it so let's just do it so the more you give to people the more vulnerable you are the more you can actually hold them accountable how do we hold people and ourselves accountable? I think is by giving ourselves and everybody everything we possibly can. And then you've got no choice but to do it on your own, right? You can't dismiss it. So how do you hope to give all your listeners everything you can over the next 50 episodes? What's in the future now? What do you see rolling from here? Yeah, well, it's about bringing as many people on as possible that maybe it's something I don't know about or I can expand on or a different perspective. And and then it's paying forward. So I, I said early on, I think I was on with Steven Tyler at Refined by Fire, and I talked about being an echo and an amplifier. We all don't need to be the Aaron Fields of the fire service. Like, you don't have to be that. We have those guys and girls, and we're like, let's be grateful for them. Not all of us have to be like reinventing the wheel and pushing the limits and like making a name for yourself and being internet famous. It's not what it's about. Sometimes it's literally about we need people, and I think this is where I see myself as like, gathering as much as I can from everywhere else. And then I'll bring it to you. Like I'm an echo, I'm an amplifier. I'm going to repeat that message on so that that's really what it's about. And then being honest about these experiences and these mindset shifts and what you thought before and what you think now and how much you struggle with being good at the job or being a good person. Like the more you can share that, the more people are going to be like, oh, okay, they're going through that too. Like finding those people you align with. And then hopefully they pick up the mantle and they, they operate in the same way. And I think if we're all doing that as individuals, then when we do come together as a team, I think we're better for it. It's about walking the talk. And there's been a lot of times where I've had to stick my neck out by saying, this isn't normal in the fire service, but this is what I want to do. Like being vegetarian. Right. I think it was the first one in the department, maybe that was vegetarian. Maybe, right. Maybe there were some closeted vegetarians, but like, <laughs> anyways, I think I might've been, but there's a like, few more of us now, but I was newer Yeah. and I'm like, well, should I have just kept eating meat forever? If I didn't like, it was something I was trying, but I had to like, okay, how do I want to approach it? Here's how I'm going to do it. But you had to stick your neck out, stick your neck out, stick your neck out. And then eventually once you stick your neck out a few times and you realize that you may get a few scars here and there, but your head's not going to get lopped off. Like you're okay. Then you get bolstered more to do that. And as long as you're doing it in the right way, you're going to get positive feedback and things are going to get better. 
Well, I think that's something to be said. Sometimes I think we talk about like how the fire service also is changing for the better. And that's one of the examples, I think, where it is changing for the better, right? There's more and more voices that you choose to say, hey, I want to go vegetarian, vegan, whatever. It's like, dude, do you. Do you think. As part of your crew and knowing your onion and all these layers, it's like, hey, this is what is best for you right now. And like, let's all be compassionate, supportive and respectful and communicate and all these, whatever jargon words we can call them, whatever we want. But at the end of the day, it's like we really humanize each other and we're there for each other. And, and that's part of, I think, what strengthens us moving forward too. Yeah. And there's that balance of things just to touch on that quickly is the, yeah, eat this way, but I'm not going to make you change any of your program. Like you guys do exactly what you do. I will adapt because this is the thing that I want to do where we have seen and heard about people that are like, well, I eat this way. So I want to be put on a crew with everybody that eats the same way as me so we can all eat the same. I'm like, are you joking right now? Don't come in here and kick the door open and think you're going to just upend everything. Like, Yeah, remember you're part of the machine, right? You're yeah. not You're not. If the you're making a choice, then yeah. you adapt. Like, and then everyone will respect you for it and they'll probably be more likely to help you out and managing what you want to do. Well, and look at our crew, right? We have a lot of meals where you might not eat what we're eating or you eat a part of it. And there's also a lot of meals where we go out of our comfort zone and make a vegan meal. Imagine that. It's actually tasty. (laughs) Wow. I know, right? (laughs) And you know, and that's just understanding people in general too. That's not promoting and pushing a, I've always laughed at like meat eaters are always, you can't attack them and judge them for why they're eating the way they are. And they don't have to explain that because that's normal, but you have to defend and explain why you eat the way you eat. So again, that's that balance with people. It's like, I want to put that in perspective for people. This is just what I'm choosing to do. As long as it doesn't affect anybody, it should be fine. And I shouldn't have to defend it because you don't have to defend the way you are. And that ties into equipment. You don't have to defend the way you like something, but I have to bring a bulletproof solid example of like, and proof why this other thing is better. Why is this imbalanced? Well, and it shows it doesn't have to be, right? Like as a meat eater, I also don't have to judge that of you. Yeah. It's just, yeah. So these are like adult reciprocal relationships. And I don't judge it of you. Like it's literally that easy. Again, this is the human side of things that gets in the way of the job sometimes, but it matters because we're living in each other's space all the time. But this is such a metaphor, vegan or not, meat eaters or not, whatever. How you like to work out, body weight, CrossFit, functional fitness, whatever. Culture, who cares? Yeah. Uh, Like in a good way, whether you're guy, girl, what your ethnic background is in a good way. I tell people my crew doesn't care that I'm there. I do not care. care. Yeah. In a great way. (laughs) In a great way. I I always tell people my crew doesn't care that I'm there. And they're like, what do you mean? I said, well, they don't care that I'm there as a female. They just care that I'm there as a hard worker, an empathetic person on calls and willing to do the work. I care about you as a person. Right. And I care if you're good at this job or not. Exactly. Those are the two things. Yeah. I don't care what you're eating. I don't care how you're training. As long as you're fit for the job, you got a good attitude and we can have some fun while we're at the hall. Because we have too much to worry about. 100%. (laughs) It's a very serious job. So let's find again like common theme in this episode, let's find some balance. Let's show some humanity, but let's hold each other accountable. Hold yourself accountable. Show yourself some humanity with self-care. So I think that's what we can do with this generation that we take. And I've asked guests before, like what are these traditions that we should hold on to? And what are the things that we could do without, right? So we're not doing it perfect right now. Every generation is doing some things. We're like, I can't believe those guys back in the you know, the aughts did those things. Like, that's crazy. There's going to be that stuff. But we have to have the humility to understand we haven't, just because we're looking backwards, we have a hindsight, we're doing everything so much better. But we have to recognize the things we can't let go. Like, it is grit. It is resilience. There is hard shit to do. You got to suck it up. Like, you got to be hard. But what we can do is bring in that balance piece and show that you can be both. 
you can be balanced and actually surprisingly it actually makes you better at the job than anybody because you are balanced whereas one extreme or the other are not good places to live and that balance also translates back to home life and everything else and other relationships where that balance then feeds the rest of your life so you not only become healthier at work you become healthier period i think we've all witnessed it where we meet people at work and we feel like we've never met the real person before there's something then they come in the door they put on something and like they operate and behave and interact in a certain buttoned up kind of cards close to the chest way and i think that's okay at times but at some point i think we all want to like just meet the real person and i guess what i hope for them is what i've always hoped for me is that i can be the same person i am right now talking as i am with my family as i am at work and i think there's a lot less as someone who has generalized anxiety and it's like managed it over time, I've realized the more I can just be me in every situation, the less I have to stress about like changing who I am. That's the key that I would want to bring this next generation is like, how do you be you in every situation? And how do you be you at this job? And we're all going to benefit from that. And if we can support people in that and then add on this, here's the expectations with the actual nuts and bolts of the job, I think that's when they're going to be the best. And you're going to decrease mental health issues in that aspect and Everything gets better if you can just be, it opens up so much more bandwidth when you don't have to worry about how am I, what am I saying to this person and yeah. what words am I using? Show up authentically. And I think the only difference is maybe on day one, there's just the difference of maybe you're a little bit quieter, right? Sure, we kind of sure, say sure. we've got two ears, one mouth. So we, when you're new, you do, you do, right? It's not about we don't want to hear from you, but it's just you need to learn the job and you need to learn how to learn on the job. So we're not saying we don't want to hear from you, but there is a point in time where you can learn a lot. You can learn a lot on scene. You can learn a lot around the coffee table when senior firefighters are talking. So that's where that comes from, the two ears, one mouse. We listen twice as much as we talk. And it's, again, it's not because people don't want to hear from you, but it's just, just at that point in your career, the balance there is there's so much more for you to learn. So I hope that the messaging here is it's not that the fire service or your crew doesn't want to know you. There's a time where you can listen twice as much as you can talk. But I definitely hope that everyone shows up authentic and it's not about changing who you are or hiding who you are or being fake. The way we operate with people when they come into the hall, you can see with the right people, they relax, not in a way of like not having to try so hard, but they were like, they're like, oh, this is a good place. These are good people. And then that gets out of the way and then they can actually get into like the job. So we are responsible for setting that tone. We have to open up to let them know about who we are. You got to walk the talk. It's got reciprocal. Like if we can be vulnerable and open up and be genuine and authentic, that then they are more likely, at least they have the opportunity to be. And if they're not going to be, that's on them. I've helped create the space where you can be you and be genuine and authentic and be vulnerable and know that my intent is only for the good of you. Now, if you create problems, right? If you balk against that, if you push back, if you want to be entitled or smart ass or think you know better or all the shit that gets in the way of us just learning together and being a team, then we're going to have a problem. And I think it's not only creating that space, but it's also defending that space. That's a great way to put it. This is a safe space. Maybe not in the way that has been to the far extreme as what safe space is, but literally it's the safest space because not only do I accept you as a person and who you are and want to work with you, but I will also give you the harsh reality of what this is about. So that's the safest thing. Again, not to use like gender specific terms, but like this bro culture. And I think there's a important place in this idea of like, we all kind of play on each other and do the things, the practical jokes, and but also understand and like do that in a kind and respectful way. And again, not saying you're 
try to like tiptoe around people, but there's also a, a time where we know it's a disrespectful way to do it. And it's maintain that integrity of ourselves too, to say, Hey, you know what? Like I can still partake in that traditional fire hall culture of, Hey, you know what? We are going to kind of bust each other a little bit. However, I'm also, I can choose to do it in a respectful way. Yeah. I know my audience. I right. know you, you know right. me. There's no inside joke that you're going to be like, it's going to land wrong. Right. If it does, I'm going to explain myself. Right. I think there are people that lean too much into the dark humor. They're leaning into the practical jokes. They're leaning into all that side of the thing that they've heard about the fantasy of the job. And they're not paying attention to anything else. That to me is when it's a problem. Do you understand what, what we're, we're really here for? <laughs> like, This is all good in addition to once we've paid attention to all these other things. Then that stuff adds on. It's like the cherry on top. But if that is like their posturing and that's all they're focused on when they come into work and the new people show up is like, then you're just, that's what you're saying your culture is. And that's what do you expect to get? So that would be the balance again. It's like, start with the foundation, build it up. And then everything that happens after that is the fun stuff. And you can have so much fun at work, like so much fun doing the work and the extra stuff. But the way you open up space for that is by paying attention to the foundation first. I think it's fair to say we've kind of laid the foundation for hearing from you. Communication's key. Show up authentically. Find that balance between realizing the reality between the job and the humanity side of it. Be the ever student. Go ahead. Are you going to say something there? I was listening to you talk. I'm appreciating it. So where'd you grow up? And tell me a bit a little bit about your family, family <laughs> dynamic. And... Forget it. <laughs> Is there anything you want to hit on here, Scott? Like, no, like let, let's go some with some of our questions. Yeah, if you want to just touch back on what you have there, and if we've touched on everything, then we can wrap up. I'm good with that. Yeah, this is totally with what you guys want to. Well, I think it's down. a good. It's a because like, I'll just go. Like I, I well, I know and it's a good stop. length, and I don't think that, like, again, in respect of like, it's not saying we can't revisit some of this, but I also don't want to make this a six hour. I think it's fair to say we just wanted to take the time after fifty episodes to allow the listeners to hear a little bit more from you because you are so good at showcasing and just listening to those that you have on the podcast, whether it's people in the department, people that you've touched base with in other countries or in other disciplines, right? Like we talked about wellness, cold water therapy, sleeping and such that it was kind of a cool milestone to touch on and as two close friends of yours to celebrate what you've done, what you've accomplished with this podcast two people that have listened to it from the beginning and have the honor of being able to, well, Dave all the time, but myself, the odd time ride the trucks beside you. So this has been an amazing podcast. You've done great work with it. And it, that deserves to be, to use your words, echoed and amplified. That, that means everything to me. And I was, I'm trying, when we first brought this up, we're all guilty of this. The first reaction is like, oh, well, no, no, no. Like I think every guest I've had on, and you said the same thing. And eventually when you come on, you're probably going to say the same thing too. Yes, it's going to happen. Is like, well, who am I? Or look at the guests you've had on and what do I have to bring forward? And well, you don't know. You don't know who's listening and who's going to take something from what you said. So you just have to lay it all out and have the conversation and let it be what it is. Like, that's okay. And and so I had that knee-jerk reaction too of like, well, no, like that's kind of gauche to come on your own podcast and like and speak. And I've done other guests on other on episodes with people too, which I thought was in better taste. But then I thought, well, but you guys are bringing this to me, right? And to allow you to love me and to see me for who I am and receive that gift and that appreciation. So again, in walking the talk, I think that's why I'm like, yeah, let's, let's just do this. And I mean, it was also just a great excuse to get the three of us in a room and talk together, which I'm always down for. Like, anyways, I was super, super grateful up to this day and this morning, I just thought I was so appreciative. Well, and hopefully your listeners got a little more insight to you as well, because I think it's well-deserved. 
and again, kudos on the 49 before and Congrats. Right. Congrats. the 50th here and 50 moving forward. So in 55, Caroline's 55. <laughs> that gives you a buffer. No, <laughs> it gives you a buffer of like yeah, four that's episodes. Like, to that's get like your... November. I mean, you got Isn't lots it? of time. Right. Yeah. And Dave can lean on you we'll and I can see. lean on you. We'll see. You've got comfortable now. We've we'll been here. Yeah. Oh, look at that. She's like leaning right into the mic where, I know. you know, it's like things have changed. So. And another thing, she's going to grab, pull right. the mic out of the stand. Yeah, and let's start go. That's yeah. it. Yeah. I'll get, get on the sofa. I'll get it. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, listen, buddy, congrats. Okay, love you guys. Love you, buddy. Thanks, man.